Yo, how are you doing, folks? Welcome to episode 105. I told you last time that'd be the last time. I can't do that yesterday because I don't think next week I'm going to be asked going 106. It just feels a bit, yeah, just doesn't lack in grace, uh, which is entirely why you watch this podcast. I am aware of that. Um, <laughs> I jest, obviously. I hope you've had a wonderful Christmas and New Year. Um, I've had a, a very relaxing one. I've done basically fuck all and it's been wonderful. And I hope you've all had the opportunity to do the same. I know a lot of you guys have kids, responsibilities, jobs that didn't for some reason stop over the festive period. Almost an incentive for us to join unions. But yeah, I don't want to give away my political inclinations too uh, early into episode 105 in this podcast. You all know how I feel about the situation. Support all the strikes that are going on right now. If you see somebody a picket line, you beat them, you give them support, you give them love, you give them respect because they are the reason you have a weekend. They're the reason you've just had a fucking Christmas. So yeah, run over there. Let's move on to an introduction to today's guest. Uh, very rough segue there today, guys, um, but we'll get there eventually. Uh, today's guest is an award-winning journalist who, after spending several years in the newspaper industry, transitioned into the nascent cannabis uh, sector. They are the current managing editor of the Cannabis Health magazine. You may have seen this publication, uh, which started, I think, 2020, if I'm not mistaken. I believe 2020. Yeah. There they were thereabouts. We'll, we'll take it. We'll take it. Uh, they're also a, a member of the uh, plea advisory board. They are Sarah Sinclair. How are you doing, Sarah? Hey, I'm good. Thank you. Good to be here. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. I apologize about how uh, caffeinated that introduction was. I've got about halfway through that cup of coffee and it's just hit me heavy. As soon as the, light, the lights went on, it was just yeah, time to perform. So, yeah, let's come into this one and uh, give us a bit of background for people that don't don't know yourself. I've just introduced you there as uh, a journalist who's worked from the newspaper industry. Um, so can you tell us about sort of wanting to become a journalist, being a journalist? What was it like in the sector prior to be coming into the sort of cannabis space? Yeah. Um, well, yeah, first of all, thank you so much for having me. I have got, I'm not going to lie, I've got major imposter syndrome kind of being on this podcast, <laughs> reading back through your previous guests last night. I was like, oh my God, what have I got to say here? <laughs> but um, yeah, so so basically I, I didn't always know I wanted to be a journalist, but it was one of those classic things of like, I was good at English when I was going to uni. I was like, oh, like, what should I do? Didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, and then realized that it was something that I was, you know, really quite enjoyed and was quite passionate about. Um, so I did a undergraduate degree first. And then this is a bit of a, a long story, but it probably is relevant. So I did an undergraduate degree and then moved home after that because, you know, what it's like when you live, you know, I'm from Cumbria originally, and I'm sure you'll appreciate it as a, I live in the Northeast now, a fellow Northeasterner. Um, it's tough if you haven't got the funds to go and live in London and work free and, you know, do internships and you don't have any contacts down there. So, yeah, um, I moved back home and I ended up actually getting really ill and getting diagnosed with Crohn's disease during that period. So that kind of threw me off track a little bit. Um, and then ended up going back to university to do a master's degree also in journalism, but with an NC2J qualification. And that kind of opened so many doors for me because it allowed me to sort of walk straight into a job on a regional newspaper, the Sunderland Echo, which you'll probably be aware of. <laughs> um, so yeah, I worked off of there for a, a year and a bit and then just sort of fell into cannabis by accident when a contact of mine asked me if I was interested in going to work for him and he had a bunch of healthcare titles and had recently set up 
one about cannabis and he just happened to be the son-in-law of Professor Mike Barnes. So that was how that came about. Um, and then I, yeah, started working for Cannabis Health in 2020, I think it was. And it had kind of been around since 2019, but really didn't really get going until we sort of had someone on it full time. And then, yeah, everything kind of went from there. Yeah. In- interesting. So it, it started as a, a printed publication, didn't it? I think I've got the first four four issues in print actually somewhere. Yeah, it did. Yeah, so we we've only recently kind of made the decision to end print. It was it wasn't yeah it wasn't something that we we took lightly. But unfortunately, in the the climate, I think the the aim of Canvas Health was always to be in print and to kind of get it into doctor surgeries and physical places where you could really tackle that stigma. Because I think there's something really powerful about seeing the you know, and that's why it was called Canvas Health as well, which is another issue that we now face with SEO and social media. The fact that it's got cannabis in the name, which we. Mm-hmm maybe talk about later but the fact that it was called kind of as help was an intentional thing because it was trying to normalize it and legitimize it and with the hope that it would be on the shelves in wh smiths and you know would next to all the other health and wellness magazines but unfortunately covid happened um and then you know, to be honest, no one's reading print magazines at the end of the day, unfortunately, um, as much as journalists like to kind of cling on to it. I don't read magazines anymore, so why why would anyone else? But, but we do have people who kind of did, you know, older people who would read the magazine, and it, and it is a shame to lose that. But ultimately, it's more important that we can carry on going and be sustainable and those sort of... Those I won't, you know, I won't mention any numbers, but the print costs are, are pretty high for the income that we were <laughs> that we were generating. Yeah, it's a, it's a difficult space. Um, I think you think of some of the ones that have got sort of longevity. I think of uh, like again, I always I always quarrel with myself as to whether I should should name them another public, but and the private people at the end of the day as well. The the, the bosses behind Weed World, um, they've obviously been in the game since nineteen ninety one. You know, they started with Drug World and were very quickly hit with backlash. Went, oh shit! All right, Weed World, just the weed. We'll we'll put the other stuff away. And <laughs> they've got that kind of longevity. Whereas there's obviously a lot of recent magazines that have tried to break into the sector have all, always come from that kind of similar ilk. And Weed World kind of set the standard within the UK. Um, you've obviously got high high times sort of in the states. Um, and the diversification that has then occurred. But I think there's still something to physical media. Obviously, not maybe in in uh, monthly, uh, maybe quarterly and annual, I think is still the idea of memorabilia of producing that physical thing that yes, incurs the cost and the printing costs have gone up exponentially and they, they continue to because of, uh, uh, materials basically as we're moving to ever, ever decrease, uh, ever increasingly deforesting the world. Um, it's difficult to justify, but it's the majority content. I think, yeah, has that online basis, but being able to hold the annual, I think is, mm-hmm. is still something people would, would crave to do if the content was there, but it's, I guess it's not news in the same, which way is it? Yeah, it is. It's, it's really tricky. Cause now hearing you talk about it, it makes me go like, Oh God, like it, <laughs> it is really powerful. And I think I still hope, you know, one day we can, maybe we could go to like a yearbook sort of thing or kind of a bi-annual publication because with something like cannabis, you are sort of documenting a period of time and the changes that happen. And I I do think that that you don't get the same effect with it online. So who knows, who knows what the, what the future holds? Maybe, maybe the economy will um, 
turn itself around. And... <laughs> Maybe there's even space for like private eye style. You know, mm. really, really quite cheap paper, quite a small base format, not really picture led and with the pictures that are and not based on high quality imaging. It's not the, the yeah. image that is used to tell the story. Um, again, I think you hit on a beautiful point there. And it's one of the things that I did want to speak to you about. It's something that I've been thinking of more and more. And it's one of the reasons why I'm, I'm pushing to get the website relaunched. It's same with what I'm doing with the podcast is cr- trying to create archives mm. of conversations, of interactions, the proof that shit actually happened to create a chronology of our history that one day when the stigma is gone and the censorship is over we will have this stuff because if we're not producing this content or if we're producing it in a way that is yeah seo optimized to ensure that we're not getting shadow banned and censored it doesn't capture the real flavor of 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 that um that kind of movement and anything that's in a digital document without getting too orwellian is is very susceptible to being you know edited and and, and redacted and, and altered mm-hmm yeah yes it's it's really it's really tricky and it's something that i kind of struggle with as you can imagine like seo and all of that shit like i hate it absolutely hate it and it's just something that unfortunately like you i don't know what the word is you sort of have to play the game a little bit if you want to kind of have a voice out there but then is that voice yeah it's it's really tricky and I guess like as a journalist first and foremost for me um that's the most important thing is sort of having balance integrity putting out high quality content but I brought all those values of journalism with me you know from when I did my training and hopefully that shows in the content that I put out with cannabis health but at the same time you are battling these algorithms and you you know yeah sometimes you've got to use certain language because you know it's not going to get recognized by the search engine if you don't and unfortunately if you want to be on google news and you want to be on google and you want people to read your stories you're kind of a slave a slave to the algorithm yeah it's it's one of these things that's it's really difficult because it it lessens experience i had a very in-depth conversation with somebody recently about the term unalive which is a conceptual uh, colloquialism, <clears throat> common term used in our language at this point, um, def- created entirely from the TikTok generation. And it's a way to avoid saying suicide or died or dead. They are, un- they are unalive or they unalived themselves. Oh, and so that, that yeah, so it means that people then don't use the word suicide because suicide is a taboo word. You're not allowed to talk about it. So then it reinforces that there's firstly something to stigmatize around this, Mm -hmm. um, but it also then lessens the ability of people that have suicide idolation to be able to use that word as a way to gain, frankly, the attention they need. If you are considering killing yourself and you say that to somebody, you you want and deserve a fucking reaction. But if you're going, oh, I'm thinking about unaliving myself, it's just this dilution of of language. And it's it's something it's taken me a long time to deal with in my activism work is to understand why and it still bothers me and boils my piss why some people say hemp hemp derived why people say marijuana or whatever they present it and use language in certain ways even i suppose with some of the content that yourselves have produced is i've often felt or found myself in my core angered by some of it and then had to check myself and go wait i'm angered because my bias is wanting this to be more towards my side whereas Mm -hmm. you're trying to take what is presentable and unfortunately what is presentable to the system is what is funnel funnelable through that self-censorship in a certain way and that's not to say that then it 
it's just a dilution in a certain way. It doesn't quite grab. And yet we can then have the fucking sun having headlines. Like, I mean, what was the thing I saw the other day that caused a meltdown? Uh, the Metro put a headline for the release of Heinz tomato soup, the vegan version. Right. And they, I can't remember what the headline was. I'll have to Google it and put it up for people. But it was so perfectly structured that you, you can't not read it to say that they're banning this one and replacing it with this one. But if you then reread it once you know that they're not, they're adding an additional one, you can only read it as an additional. It's just a beautiful bit of clickbait. It's yeah. just so, but there's no content, no substance, and it's it's indicative of, of of where we are. And I think when you've then got that as the 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 template, the blueprint for getting views and getting a story out there, then when you're trying to deal with something as sensitive as suicide or cannabis drug and drug use or whatever, it's it it just yeah makes it really difficult to have an honest, rational, fair conversation. Yeah, and I had a feeling this would come up because I saw you um, at Product Earth when you were on that sort of how how weed can save the world panel, and <laughs> you really got me sort of thinking about language and because obviously we use the term medical cannabis a lot and it's I find it really difficult because I I agree with you on a personal level but I have to remember that like in my role we're just like you say reporting on the facts it's not our job to kind of change what the current situation is I mean, some people, job. Say, <laughs> some people say would say that maybe we should be doing using different language. But the way I try and rationalize it is I sort of would use the term medical cannabis if we were speaking about medical cannabis and the legislation in the UK or like cannabis that is legal, as you would probably call it prescription cannabis. And if I'm talking about a, a patient or a person who is using cannabis medicinally, then I would use medicinally. I try and work it like that. It doesn't always work. I don't always get it right. And sometimes you have to use medical cannabis because the SEO isn't going green if you don't. <laughs> you know, unfortunately that is how it is. But on a personal level, I do agree that there is there is issues with the terms definitely do do you capitalize medical cannabis capital m capital c no because i'm yeah i mean i, I wouldn't do that personally because I'd, i don't know i don't really think it's a, a name like a proper noun is it it's, i don't but know it, but, but it is because it's yeah. a, a Again, I, in full honesty here, I do not have half as well of an academic background as yourself. I was removed from mainstream education quite early and didn't really interact with it again. <laughs> um, for all I sound articulate and seem well-read, that's because I like movies and film, uh, movies and TV shows and read a lot of books, uh, watch a lot of stuff on the internet. But from my understanding of it, it's become more than a colloquialism, so a, a, a term used within the language which then doesn't necessarily need defining. We obviously have in this country, the same as most of the world, a, a legalese dictionary, which then when they're speaking in the legalese, it's often capitalized, can often be italized, italicized, whatever you call it, when it's on, yeah. on, a, on a bit of a slant, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, as, as a way of uh, showing that it's separate from its dictionary standard definition. When we're talking of medical cannabis in the UK, because it's defined under M MHRA uh, regulations, they have it capital M, capital C. So it then becomes a proper noun, meaning when speaking of medical cannabis, you're not speaking of the supposed medical use of cannabis if it was too, a little M, little C. Yeah. Um, and they define it in their own language as is and or, 
a cannabis preparation. So they're basically saying that cannabis is medical cannabis. So, but the, because they've then put in these definitions, I would uh, the way I would use it is or I'd put a little commas, what I can't really call them. Is you know what I mean? And just draw yeah. attention to the fact that I'm not referencing the the idea that, that would be constructed by saying medical cannabis is meaning somehow cannabis that is only medical. Yeah. Do, you know, do you know what I mean? And it's again, I, I feel English was one of my worst subjects. I remember year nine, Miss Knight throwing shit at me to get me out of the classroom for a few, for refusing to do the work. And it was because I, I wouldn't write the stories. I couldn't be sort of creative and focused. But that's mm. that's neither here nor there. But the point is for me is I'm stuck on the language because it's it creates this, as I've described before, this artificial binary that when we say medical cannabis, we create this thing that means there's there's also cannabis. So therefore that cannabis can't be medical because otherwise it would be medical cannabis. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I do know what you mean. And to be honest, I feel like you, you know, you are way more versed in this than I am. Like, <laughs> I know like it's, it's not all... persistent. <laughs> <laughs> like I honestly struggle to remember even like what a proper noun is these days or like a verb or whatever. It's, it's shocking really. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I think, Again, and I don't know, this kind of conversation, and it kind of reminds me of that sort of whether all cannabis is medicinal or not argument, because some, you know, I'll often get people responding to articles saying, well, all cannabis is medical. I personally don't know whether I agree with that. I think all cannabis can have medicinal purposes, but it depends on how the person's consuming it and what they're consuming it for as to whether, you know, it could be for wellness reasons, but it could also just be for enjoyment if you're going to a gig or something. Yeah, but it also then is defined by the language. So a little bit of an insight for your folks at home. In England and Wales, I don't know what the current situation is in Northern Ireland and Scotland. If you go to your GP and you say that you use cannabis, there is not a code on their internal system to say that you are using cannabis. The only coding they can put is drug abuse. So even then, we are robbed of our autonomy through the use of languages that we are limited then at at that point, that you can't then have that conversation. If you then went to your doctor and go, I've got air quote medical cannabis prescription, you can have that conversation. You're still facing the same sort of stigma. You're still facing sort of issues with it. And it's... To me, frustrating that the soft approach there is, oh, it's medical cannabis. You haven't used the, the words medical cannabis as a spell to, to demystify the doctor so that you can have a conversation to say, well, I'm using cannabis. And they go, where'd you get it? Oh, I grew it at home. Well, that's not medical. And it just creates all of this false dichotomy where, the, for me, if we can get back to this idea that cannabis sativa L is a plant and the plant can be used as you could freeze it, grow it, freeze it, use it as a weapon and kill somebody with it. You could use the roots as an explosive and blow something up. Shit, probably shouldn't put that on the record. Um, you, you know, you can use the oil to then treat cancers, allegedly, for the cancer rack so don't get sued. You know, there's a multitude of other ailments and illnesses you can use the oils or resins for. You can use the building materials to build batteries, to build houses, to build filtration systems. Yet we're still stuck on this, well, it's, it's medical or not. Like, all cannabis can't be medical. If I'm building a house out of it, it can't be medical. But then if I choose to use cannabis, the resinous parts of it, um, that is medicinal. The action, the individual using a plant or substance is medicinal. Whereas then when something falls into a categorization of medical, it is defined and created within and limited to the construct of medical. Do you know what I mean? Like there's not a a recreational needle really there's just the, the needle is a medical apparatus, but then has been diverted into other, other usage. So it's, I know it seems like really 
to teeny little alterations but in doing it it just it like said it creates these false binaries that then when yeah. i say to somebody i grow cannabis and use it medicinally and i'm told that i'm not using medical cannabis is very much a mm-hmm. what <laughs> yeah. yeah absolutely and and you know in that instance like that's completely correct and, you know, I'm not necessarily necessarily saying that I agree with this, but I think there's an element of that sort of stigma that's still there as well. And, you know, when Cannabis Health was launched, our whole purpose was to try and legitimize it. And we were appealing to people who were cannabis naive or medical professionals who didn't know about it. And there's something about just sticking that word medical in front of it that makes it a bit more acceptable to people like oh it's okay it's medical like you say it's medical cannabis but obviously then that has a knock-on detrimental effect to Mm. cannabis as a whole but that could be an argument for the for the term medical (laughs) but it's it's but then again it comes down it's it's a manipulation of of the language to suit the investment frankly of a small group of individuals because it should have been accepted literally November 2nd, 2018. The whole system should have gone. Why are we raiding anybody? Why is anybody getting arrested? What the hell? Or if it's medicine, it's all medicine. And <clears throat> this artificial binary that the only thing that creates it being medicine is did you pay for it and get a nice piece of paper? You don't even get a piece of paper. You don't even get a piece of paper. You, do you know what I mean? You get your little pot yeah. and you get your little access to your email or your portal or your whatever else. Mm-hmm. And, and and that is it. And you're left to your own devices. There's no then protection from, from the, the police, really. We're still seeing people getting arrested, getting their cars uh, taken off them. The police laughing at patients and saying that medical doesn't exist. And then you've got people on the other side of it getting caught that are then trying to game that system, trying to manipulate it because they're seeing that that's the way that they can be safe and protected. So they're then noticing that loophole. So they are oh, medical, I'm medical, medical. And they've got no intention of, they've got no desire to. And yeah, they may be gaining benefit from it at the very bare minimum. The prophylactic benefit of consuming cannabis is the anti-cancerable properties for me. You know, we eat a credit cards with a plastic a week. You know, we've got endocrine disruptors in us. We've got all sorts of terribly carcinogenic materials in the air, in the water, in rain, in food. <clears throat> so, yeah, in some ways, all cannabis consumption is medicinal and it can have a positive net gain benefit to the system. Obviously, if you then mix it with tobacco, less of a benefit, but from the studies that we're seeing on COPT, uh, COPD and um, lung cancer, et cetera, that the core consumption of these, these products is you're reducing the cancerous uh, uh, aspects of the tobacco. And mm-hmm. you're also reducing the, the benefit of the, the cannabis. So you're basically knocking, knocking it out. Um, but to then state that the guy walked me on Christmas with my six gram cannon with seven roaches in sat by uh, looking at the cathedral on Christmas day. Yeah. That was entirely for so-called recreation or for so-called fun, but I got benefit from it. It helped with my mental health, my physical health. It definitely stimulated my appetite for the three plates of food that I had. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know, yeah. You know, when, when you put it like that, like, yeah, I guess, I guess you could say that. I think it's just, we are so, everything about how we kind of view our whole health system and medical system is just fucked, isn't it? Like <laughs> the way that we view health and the, the the sort of disconnect that we have from, especially with, with really sort of hard to treat chronic conditions and the way that we treat them and separate the symptoms. It's just, 
I think cannabis has actually been really helpful for me in, in learning more about that. And it's completely changed how I view my own health and sort of how we, the, how we need to take a more holistic approach to it. And yeah, like food is, food is medicine. If you kind of, kind of if it, I guess it's nutrition, but we have this image of medicine of this pill that a doctor gives you and you want the doctor to give you the pill, sort it all out. And you just don't want to take any responsibility for it. Um, I think it's all tied into that. It's all just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, no, I think in, entirely and cannabis as a byproduct is uh, a meta, what is it? A metacognitive inducing agent, I think is the term I've seen it described in academia. So basically oh. it, it induces your brain to start thinking about the way it thinks. It allows you insight into yourself. So you often see people baked on a couch and they look like they do. Oh, look at this. He's doing down. Blah, blah. <laughs> they're not. They're, they're unpacking shit you would not believe. Somewhere in their brain, there is a little them pulling shit off the shelf and go, what's this? Oh, crap. Should have dealt with that a few years ago. And it may be embarrassing and difficult. This is where people have air quotes, bad trips or whatever. It's just this insight. It's fucking insight. Be curious of it, not fearful of it. It's the same with psychedelics. And the, the pharmaceutical treatments that we're getting for these ailments do not include that element. And if you are not then curious of yourself, if you're not then able to look at what is broken, if you want to describe it that way, what is wrong, what is deficit, what is defunct, what is defying what should be normal and typical for you and your body type then you are have no way of mastering it, no way of overcoming it, no way of lessening it, lessening it. And look at the majority of drugs that they give you. It's not about your illness. It's about the symptom relief. Oh, your illness gives you spasms. Let's give you something for your spasms. Oh shit, that give you diarrhea. Oh shit, here's a drug for that. All right, so now we've dealt with your spasms. You're still not sleeping. That was giving you this sedative. Oh crap, right? You're not getting up. So well, here's the stimulant. Oh, you can also here's the. And they're just building these these packages of just profitability. People are pill balls than less than they are patients. And this is one of the things that worries me about not fighting back against this nomica monica monica. I was trying to get that out right. Monica? Yeah, monica name is what I'm trying to say. A fancy word for name. The name medical <laughs> medical cannabis. Uh, because then if we have to have every discussion within that frame, if you have to get a prescription to be within that framework, it it doesn't allow people to have this option. So then they'll be prescribed cannabis for again, one symptom and then realize, oh, it's helping other things and it's doing X, Y, Z. And well, you're not supposed to have that. We're not prescribing for that. That's complicating our data. Do, do you know what I mean? It's, it's, and I don't like the way that that's going forward when actually if a patient qualifies, the way I would see it is they should be going to a system where you go, okay, let's prescribe you several different cultivars, find those what works for you. Here's some fucking seeds. And obviously everyone doesn't want to grow, but these, these networks where people can be self-sufficient, it's, it's as ridiculous as we know that yeah, going and buying vegetables from your supermarket. Good. But the nutrition is, is, is lessened. You know, they've got an opportunity to be exposed to glyphosate and various other things. Their supply chain is a hell of a lot longer than you would think folks. And they are not very well hygienically stored. Um, you can obviously spend a premium and get organic, or you can just grow that shit in your back garden. <laughs> obviously, again, you've got to put the effort in and whatever else, and you've got to be lucky enough to have a garden. I know obviously a lot of people live in flats and, and domiciles like myself that don't have access to external space. But the point still stands that we have that spectral of access. We have the option to not have the shit thing that's been irradiated or been whatever way dealt with. Um, and then an organic option, which, yeah, is more often expensive because that's the nature of capitalism under its current guise. 
all self-sufficiency and that's the trifecta of access that we're not seeing here we're seeing this conversation that there's medicinal in the air quotes medical cannabis industrial complex there's then this slow growing conversation around adult consumption being led by behind the scenes the same players that have invested into the medical cannabis industrial complex because they're using it as a gateway to get the license for the much larger market you know they were promised 1.2 million consumers in this country in 2018 we're less than what 25,000 yeah, yeah, it's round about that, isn't it? Sorry, yeah. I, just, I feel like I've ranted a lot there. <laughs> R- rebuttal, response, please. <laughs> no, no, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> it's it's true, and I completely, I completely agree that I, you know, I think everybody should have should be able to consume it how they how they want to if they want to grow their own great if they want to go to a dispensary fine but some people also do need clinical guidance and particularly when you've got children with epilepsy they need to know they're getting a consistent product they need to know what's in it and they need to have clinical oversight so i think it's important that we don't forget about that um while the conversation about sort of adult use and wider access is is very exciting and very important, although seems like a very long way off in this country, personally. Um, I think, yeah, there does need to be a bit of everything and we need to make sure we're not forgetting about the people who can't grow their own because they're they're sick or they are just really rubbish at gardening. Like, I think yeah. we need to make sure that we're not kind of... <sighs> forgetting about one group to suit another group. Yeah, there's a lot of different... It's such a big thing and it's so hard to kind of I don't know how we can it's so hard to like please everybody because everyone's got such different every it's so individual just like cannabis in itself right yeah <laughs> it's it's the analogy that just came into my head there's quite interesting just like almost watching pins or a little uh marble <laughs> sorry roll around in my head imagine like a giant tub full of mar- marbles which is what my head was and you put mm-hmm. a small hole big enough for a couple of marbles Mm. The hole is going to clog up. It's not going to pull the marbles through, but all the marbles because of the force of gravity are wanting to get through. That's the cannabis community and consumers. Mm-hmm. Gravity is their will and desire and want to not be hunted on the street. So yeah. they will do and say anything to get into that system. So I think the best way to deal with the children for epilepsy to support the people that can't grow and the people that really need that clinical oversight is to create more holes Mm. where the other arguments and conversations can go. So then it, it dispels a lot of the pressure, manipulation, trickery, and con uh, artistry, and frankly, criminality that exists within the current prescription system. And I say that on the dispensary level, the distributor level, the prescribing level, and the patient level. It's yeah. The whole thing is farcical. We're all going in like... Um, I was talking to somebody earlier and I described it as, you know, when you've got your doctor, I mean, I don't personally anymore, but back in the day where you've got your doctor, he says, how many units do you drink? And you go... Four and he goes <laughs> okay and you go okay and he writes it down. Yeah. It's the it's the same <clears throat> thing. It's what we're saying about with language. It's mm-hmm. a dilution of the ability for us to connect and communicate our needs and desires. And if we as patients can't, and I say that as a patient, can't connect with the, these institutions and voice our needs and get our needs met, mm-hmm. we're going to either try and game and manipulate that system, or we're just going to go elsewhere. And we're going to abandon it. So you're not going to get above 30,000. You'll start to see drop-offs as people go, well, why would I waste my time here when I can get a cheaper product more reliably just by picking up the phone, by texting somebody on WhatsApp? It's, yeah. I, yeah. I think it has to be that, sorry, the last point be that parlay and communication is parallel. If they're not parallel, 
we're not going to get anywhere. So all the effort was in recreational for a while. Then we went, oh, shit, let's switch and double down into so-called medical. Um, and that's where we got through. That's where the first hall. So everybody's getting, I want to make money. I want to get in there. And they're all doing it on the premise of the vast majority of them from what I've seen. And I've sat in some hella meetings um, that they're doing it to get the licensing with recreational because of uh, adult use, because they've seen it around the world. That's how you do it. Once you've proven your product, you can get it out there. You've already built the, uh, the environment, the distribution, et cetera. You win. Yeah. Uh, and that's not representing the patient at the end of the day. Absolutely. And, and the thing that, uh, you know, we mentioned capitalism right at the beginning and it all comes back to that at the end of the day, it's a private market. So it's always going to be profit over patients. Like that's just how capitalism works. And, you know, you see all these clinics and putting things out, you know, they're sort of competing for patients. They're doing like the TikToks and the Instagram posts and they're all sort of saying that they're for patients, they're putting patients first, but how... It just that's just not how capitalism works. <laughs> like it has to be profit over over patients, or you don't survive. Um, and you know, I, I, there's I know loads of amazing doctors who are prescribing cannabis and are in it for the right reasons, but ultimately the system is a a one for profit. Mm-hmm. I think yeah, I've met some doctors within this fall. I've had some uh, quite let's call them viral interactions with some doctors uh, in this community. Um, I do agree. There are some genuine, genuine ones that if they were given the option to be able to prescribe grow your own, if they were able to just give a piece of paper that says, here, this means you won't get arrested for cannabis. Go do what you want to do with your cannabis. Because I think that's, is frankly, as far as a doctor's relationship should be going at this point, unless they are prescribing a standardized product, which cannabis flower is not and cannot be, it has to be, uh, what, nab and Nabrolone, Sativex, and, and Epidiolex, and those kind of formulations that are standardized, that they have the expected outcomes and controls on. Because otherwise, then they're just poking around in the dark. The doctor doesn't know that that batch you got, you know, was cut a week early, and therefore it's got more of this cannabinoid than this cannabinoid, and it changed your interactions. They're not going to know any of that. And so yeah. until, until we're at a system where there is that certainty, I think, frankly, the doctor should just be an authorization point. Yes, mm-hmm. I've looked at your health. You don't have active psychosis. You don't have uh, a major lung disease infection or something like that, uh, or a susceptibility to, I don't know, uh, microbial presence in the flower because of an immune disorder or something like that or whatever, then you automatically qualify for it. And it's not to, to not say that those people wouldn't qualify, but should require further analysis to ensure that they are doing mm-hmm. as much as they can to be safe for themselves. Yeah. But I don't see any point in, in there's nowhere. The doctors, I feel the good ones have been caught up with the rest of them in the big net of just going, here's lots of, you know, the NHS is collapsing. Yeah, come over here, lads. We're going <laughs> to set you up here and you yeah. can make £100 in 15 minutes. Would you like that? Would you like that? Mm-hmm. And that's what if it, they're just some of the pricing structures. And then when people are going, I'm not going to name the clinics. Don't worry, folks. I'm not going to get in that much fucking trouble. But when they're set up to have a trust parallel that offsets the costing of this, and they're saying that they're in the patients, but then you look at where the money's coming from and what their funding moving forward is a bit... Yeah, it's... Yes, anyone that's sat in Cannabis Europa, (laughs) anyone that's spoken to one of their their delegates at that place is, is quite aware of the the nature and the direction that we are currently moving in. And what I want to do, and one of the things I'm really trying to do, 
and get off my high horse about the whole medical cannabis thing is to actually support the patients because I am a fucking patient. Yeah, I don't need clinical oversight, but I deserve clinical protection. I deserve mm-hmm. to be able to go into a psychiatrist, to be able to go into the, my GP, to be able to ask and say, I'm doing X, Y, Z and need help here and not go, oh, well, you're prescribed cannabis or you've used cannabis here or you grow can- like. That's irrelevant. You wouldn't then say you eat steak, so I'm not going to fucking get, like help you. It's it's trivialities, and they're hiding behind <laughs> false science. As far as I see, they're talking about contraindications and shit like this. When actually the science says the major contraindication is CBD on cytochrome P450. If you think of a high THC product, guess what? That's not really necessarily going to affect the metabolism of the, the other drug. So it's it's farcical. The science isn't the science and the doctors are not incentivized enough to tell the truth. And if they do, we've seen what happens to them. They get struck off. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's really tricky. It's, it's, yeah. Especially with sort of the mental health aspect and the fact that a lot of patients who are, have a prescription for medical cannabis do so for mental health reasons. They, you know, they can be really vulnerable people in really vulnerable situations and they're not able to access that support from you know, they get the prescription written for them by a, a cannabis doctor, but where are they getting support for their mental health, you know, and, and that, because in, in my view, you should be able to have access to both. <laughs> There's literally no reason, like cannabis has been legal for medical reasons since 2018. So why does the NHS like have still have that tick box that says you're a, a cannabis misuser? You're if- yeah, you raise an interesting point, actually, that one I haven't thought of. Most mental health services in the NHS trusts have devolved to third parties, right. private, private organizations. So therefore, they could work in partnership with some of the clinics. So that would be a brilliant thing. Yeah, if you then are going to be prescribed cannabis or they recognize that you've been, say, depressed for five years and you've been taking all these antidepressants on your record and then like six years you didn't do anything and then you go to a clinic and go, that's because I used cannabis for six years. You yeah. then get prescribed. Yeah, there should be somebody going... Well, why the fuck are you being depressed for eleven years? Can we can we help you? Can we look into this? And no. this is not going to come from the NHS under its current guise. So yeah. I think actually legally, in terms of because they are a private enterprise that are subcontracted, the NHS can fight all at once and go, oh, we can't support this because of MRHA and all the other institutions that are kind of being a bit fuddy duddy about it. I think yeah. that you probably could actually connect services like that, and I think that would be a really beneficial thing because then you'd start to understand and correlate the um, commonalities between the individuals. And I think a lot of it is going to be socioeconomic. Yeah. And then once we can identify things like that, then we can go, all right, look at what America's doing with social equity and things like that. They're going, if we're going to then sell cannabis, X amount should go into X, Y, Z. If we can figure out the socioeconomic pressure points for the cannabis consuming populace and then paper that, uh, towards politicians, give it, you know, a white paper, I mean, by paper in it, yeah. to politicians or to others is going, that's the way you offset your harm is you actively mm-hmm. identify in, in that populace people that are in, in, in vulnerable and problematic states, obviously on an entirely, entirely voluntary basis, you know, yeah. literally one quick tick, but you said, no, okay, move on, never mentioned again. It shouldn't be a, a stigmatic, like, a, yeah, pursuit of the individual. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Sorry, sorry to interrupt you there. Just it really—that's the first time I've ever no, thought no, of that. No. And I think that that needs doing. If somebody is in the clinical space, mm-hmm. that is a way you show you give a fuck. That's after that's mm-hmm. aftercare. 
Do you know what I mean? I Absolutely, that... yeah. Yeah, I mean, surely, like, you know, I've, I know that a lot of people do get mental health benefits from consuming cannabis, but surely the most benefit can come from when you combine that with talking therapies or other forms of therapy and you kind of... Because cannabis opens your mind, right? So it mm. allows you to kind of dig into those things that, you know, I know, like, from myself, when you have CBT, like, oh, honestly, like, just cursory eye roll there but like you get told just to kind of sit there and and do mindfulness and when you've got all those things going on in your head just being told to sit there and be quiet with your thoughts it's like like no like why would I why would I want to do that and then but cannabis kind of allows you a bit more of the headspace for you know I've heard spoken to people who have found it has allowed them to to be more mindful and to do those practices, which have then benefited their mental health. You know, it's not necessarily an isolated thing. You don't have to, you know, just go and consume cannabis and then suddenly like everything's great. <laughs> Unfortunately, like it's a, it's a progress and it's a tool, as we like to say, in the toolbox of many different tools. Yeah, it's, it's uh, an amplifier uh, mm. in, in its, I suppose, purest essence in that it will amplify your cognition. Uh, it will obviously introduce, we know that it's uh, a neuroplastic inducing agent, so it creates like, a new pl- pathways, it creates novel new pathways. Uh, and, and as we said before, it induces sort of metacognition so that you start to think about how you're thinking, which in and of itself rewires your brain as well. And it's about having that sense of security and curiosity, I guess, about yourself to be able to delve into that, to not be too critical, to not be, you know, oh my God, I'm a horrible person or whatever, just kind of observe it. And that's what they teach you in sort of in Zen meditation and things like that. And it's kind of what the core structure of mindfulness is basically just a combination of uh, Eastern uh, philosophy ran through a religious filter in, mm. into, into the West, basically. But mm. it's trying to teach you to get to sit with yourself. And, and cannabis is a wonderful substance to be able to allow you to do that because it will relax you and calm you down. Obviously, some people have anxiolytic responses to cannabis because of different cultivars, terpenes, <clears throat> different susceptibilities. We're slowly, slowly starting to understand that maybe some people may actually have a genuine like allergy to cannabis mm-hmm. um so we're slowly going to get there with that as well um but generally speaking yeah it will allow you to just to sit sit with yourself and if in that opportunity you could incorporate that so i've not seen so i had a conversation uh with my dentist about consuming cannabis in the uh dental space mm-hmm. um because I've got a needle phobia. I am fucking mm. terrified of needles. <laughs> had a horrible incident with the dentist when I was a child. Mm. And if yeah, basically been psychologically I've scarred from it ever since. I've done CBT and needle therapy. Like I got a really, really cute old man therapist for about <laughs> eight, eight weeks. And he, he brought in this needle sort of week by week and he got, and he got me a handle it and shit. <laughs> and it was still just like, just freaks me out. Just really yeah. sort of freaks me <laughs> out. Um, and so, yeah, they're happy for me to consume cannabis to do whatever I want. So I can't consume in, in the operating area. Um, but if I'm outside and happen to consume cannabis, then uh, hey-ho, hey-ho. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, I think there is a growing sort of acceptance. And if we could, in psychi- psychiatric environments, allow that, I mean, yeah. we're already looking at, you know, there's ketamine infusement therapies uh, that are now occurring in the UK. Uh, we've obviously seen MDMA, uh, DMT, LSD, various other compounds that are being trialed 
entirely for that purpose to allow somebody to be comfortable in their vulnerability to allow them to overlook themselves and review their life chronologically without collapsing into their own despair and trauma to begin to heal from it which is what frankly i think all drug use is anyway some mm -hmm. of it may become to the point of problematic because they're not capable as an individual to overcome their problems and that isn't to say that's their fault or their weakness within their character as some fucking conservative pundits would have it put it's it entirely the the weight of being human and conscious is unbearable most of the time, <laughs> let alone let alone where we currently are in, in the UK or in the Western world. You know, we are constantly gaslit by our leaders. We are constantly lied to by our media. We are constantly manipulated by everything that makes money from us. And yet we're left here with this itch, this scratch, this summit wrong, and we find something that works. Whatever it is for you folks, you keep doing it. If it's causing yeah. you harm, though, try and seek some support. I don't know how you can do that in terms of there's many. Sorry, I know how you can do that in terms of accessing service, but in terms of how you do that in your own life, reach out and find someone that you love, that you trust, that you care for. And honestly, you'd be surprised how much compassion there is in the world. Yeah, that was nice. I was wondering how you're going to turn that round into a positive because it was <laughs> it was pretty heavy. I was like, <laughs> I'm all, all about those positives. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's interesting. I see it from the other the side as well. My partner's a, a mental health social worker um, and an approved mental health professional, and he kind of goes in when someone's in at crisis point, and often cannabis will be consumed somewhere. It'll be on their record that they're a cannabis consumer, and it's always a red flag. You know, his colleagues are like, "Oh yeah, we've got." to get that stopped that's a negative it's always a negative and, and slowly through me he's kind of you know he's very open-minded and his opinion has definitely changed and he's trying to kind of be more outspoken about that but obviously it's very difficult in that system and there's so much it's, it's just sort of years and years of prohibition it is seen as a negative thing and to kind of be the only the person that speaks out about that like this is an area that I don't think we've really spoken much about in the general cannabis conversation is kind of social workers and, and that side of things because they're they are often the people who are kind of having the direct contact with with people mm -hmm. and sort of helping them if that's generally what social work is isn't it it's kind of helping them shape their lives and, and yeah I don't think that's an area that we've really kind of touched on yet and, and he's you know oh, I really want to do like some training for for the social worker for the council and I'm like I just yeah there's there's still a lot of work to do <laughs> it's just just on to get if we could get the authoritative system so housing authorities councils etc uh private landlords to understand that all right if you personally have come across a tenant mm. they're consuming cannabis in there mm. that's really bad for them I need to save them yeah. You don't save them by making them fucking homeless. Yeah. You don't save them by locking them in a cage and getting them to lose their job and tearing them from their family. It, just that one, if we can get that one conceptual thing, if we can deal with that, if we can go, that, all right, the, if the reason that you want to deal with this is because you want to help them, cool. Yeah. If the reason I do it is spiteful, I, I cannot see any difference in how it should be interpreted under the Discrimination and Disabilities Act as going, you're fat, too fat for my property, get out of my property. You're eating too many pies. I'm worried you're going to fall through my stairs or whatever absurd bullshit because that's how stupid it should sound. Sorry, yeah. I'm getting animated there, but that's a, <laughs> that is literally as black and white as I see it. Obviously, the law, they've got the law on their side, <clears throat> so they feel authorised, vindicated, yeah. righteous in their rage and indignation that you dare better your mental health in a way that I personally don't agree with. Go drink 12 pints on a weekend like the rest of us. 
Mm. I think that the, people don't even realize like why they're doing it. You know, it's, it's not even that they, it probably if you sat down and asked them, you know, do you actually disagree with it? No, they, they probably don't, but it's just so ingrained in us. That's a bad thing to do. You don't do that. And we stop people from doing that. It's mm. just unpicking all that, all those sort of layers and layers of negativity that's been towards the plant, I guess. Um, but yeah, I think it's almost just like, and this, you know, I'm, I'm very aware that the services are so stretched, but then it's like, well, you, you know, maybe we shouldn't be using so many resources, sort of criminalizing and stigmatizing well, the, people for consuming cannabis. Well, then we should also then look at the system for all the patients shouldn't pay for this, but there should be potentially a consideration of an additional taxation upon the companies that are selling a controlled drug that as far as the government and the healthcare system is concerned, is a net negative to mental health. So therefore, if they're selling an agent that is worsening the mental health of the country for private profit, they should be paying tax that then should be funding NHS mental health services, should it not? Mm. That there's, there's, there's plenty of arguments to be made for this in terms of what they're now looking at with like what they do with McDonald's and shit, and they want to charge them for the cleanup within two miles or a mile of, of, their, yeah. prem- of their premises. Yeah. Um, there's then this, what is it, corporate social responsibility or whatever yeah. it is. And it's these policies where that then the councils and, and other authorities can put pressure on these businesses that they have to deal with the, the consequences of their capitalist endeavor, whether it be rubbish, you know, waste, litter, theft, crime, mm-hmm. you know. And I think this should then be considered until obviously we come to our rational senses and they go, wait, mm-hmm. cannabis is a plant. All right, we got it wrong. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, do you think that's ever going to happen? Do you think we're ever going to get to that point? I think it's going to happen in the weirdest way, right? So my, I woke up the other day with literally like, I felt, um, I'm trying to think what the movie is, and one of the actors and he stops and he sees the whole thing and he goes, like, I feel like it, oh, it's V for Vendetta. And he's like, and the, the, the cop guy is like, I feel like I can see how it's all going to end. And mm. I felt like I could see the path to legalization. I went, holy shit, it's Brexit. Brexit <laughs> is going to give us weed, right? But in the weirdest way, because... There's like, what is it, less than 40% of people that voted Brexit now want or would vote Brexit again. Obviously, we know that it was greatly, allegedly, maybe show my politics here, um, was a manipulated vote. You know, the, the media and people like Boris Johnson with 350 million on his bus and all that other shit, they massively manipulated the public into believing certain narratives and lessening other narratives out there, uh, such as, you know, our economic demise, which is potentially arguably what we're living through right now. Um, but ultimately, there is this these voices, these rumblings from the hard-wing Brexiteers that are going, Maybe, maybe if we just get a bit closer to Europe, you know, if we get that uh, that single march, sing, single market, don't wait, wait, not single one market, uh, collective, collective market. Don't say what you know what I mean. Do you know what I mean? There are they're, they're slowly. That's what they're going to have to do. It's the only way this country will fucking survive is we have to get closer to the the EU. And if you look at what the European Union are doing, allegedly behind the scenes, I'm trying to talk, get some Germans on the podcast at, the, at this point from different sectors uh, to discuss this. But there seems to be. Uh, a hesitation being thrown thrown into their legalization movement at the minute because of this larger European model. So if the entire EU as a trading block creates a version of adult legalization and that's got Ireland, that's got all of the, everything about, we have to move back into that. 
So I think that we're going to be dragged into legalization probably years after we should have, years after all of the entrepreneurs and the genuine spirited individuals are going to have left this country, uh, potentially myself included at this fucking rate. Um, <laughs> but it will, we will be dragged into it eventually. I think that it, it kind of has to be, and it won't, so it won't be because of a, or maybe it would be a vote winner. Who, who knows? I mean, we're, we're being kind of painted into um, this blue Labour government. So they've, they've kind of brought Keira Starmer in, you know, obviously you'll be a boy Corbyn I'm repping today. I didn't realise the relevance of that. Uh, but they've kind of moved <laughs> it from, from quite, a, quite, le- quite a central left to yeah. quite, a, quite a fringe right Labour government that are very neoliberalistic, very supportive of the capitalist apparatus and the continuation of privatisation and asset stripping of the country. So that's very palatable for the the... the the conservative voting base. Obviously, Rishi's now lost a hell of a lot of respect. We had that farce of like however many handfuls of prime ministers we went through and however many other home secretaries and all the rest of it. Um, and I think that's an easy transition. And I think there's still enough, not necessarily Corbynites, but yeah. left-wing radicals. And I'm not going to grass on you, Jeff. Oops. Uh, people like <laughs> Jeff Smith and that, you know what I mean? They're in there. They know they don't want a front bench, but they've yeah. got a solid base in their constituency that want reform on drugs, that want to see some progress, that I think could have a much more rational conversation. And rather than it being capital-led and about the, the market share and about the stock market value and all the rest of it, it'll be about let's just stop fucking criminalizing them. Mm. I think that's where we, we we work into legalization through a de facto decriminalization either from the police forces, which we're seeing in various regions, or then the like say the EU pulls its shit together and we're kind of dragged back into Europe politically because frankly, I don't see an industry we could compete in at this point. We were the financial money launderers. We were drug dealers for 400 years. Do you know what I mean? The Brits. And then we kind of lost share of that market. Um, you know, we, we fucked up in Afghanistan and in the Golden Triangle and regions like this with the, with the Americans and allowed for those markets to disappear. South America, you know, Colombia is considering fucking legalizing cocaine. They're going to lose all of this slush fund money, you know, and then the rest of it was the city of London and it just funneling all of the world's cash through it. All these 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 models are collapsing and the only thing I can see is cannabis. I mean, fuck, go on any street in the, in the UK and throw a stone, you'll probably hit a cannabis grow. It's, <laughs> it's, it's everywhere and everyone's consuming it and everybody wants it and everybody wants to get into this, this system. And we're seeing by the numbers, I would say the vast majority of them don't want to have to go and lie to their doctor. They don't want to have to go and game the system. That 1.189,000... Uh, T whatever I can't do the math on that I'm trying to minus 20,000 odd from whatever Um, but yeah for those people they're still just going whatever I'll do what I'm doing but they'll feel more emboldened by the idea that there are people out there with prescriptions so I think that the the script I do support the script idea I do support the market as it's not necessarily in its full iteration as it stands but the conceptual idea behind it to protect the vulnerable patients that can't just put up a grow in their spare room that can't just ring up Dave and go and meet a kid on the bike you know what I mean um, but that market, that system, systemic mark, system of market access is going to be manipulated mm. by unscrupulous individuals. And we're already seeing, like, I've seen messages, for, like, I don't really interact that much with a lot of my social media, from people asking me to source them air quotes medical cannabis, not street cannabis. Mm. And it's like, so painfully confused you know what i mean and so if that's the information's kind of out there and it's this people i'm not correcting that anymore i'm not saying i was the arbiter of information but i used to rail against this four times a fucking week on live 
I'm, yeah. not, I'm not do, there's not many people doing that because it seems now as an avenue of exploitation so there's vulnerable patients that are not getting their meds net by the clinics but are now getting sourced from vendors that have unscrupulous practices that are sort of telling them a product is xyz when it's not and they're not getting the right response it's harming worsening their condition and worse it's it's dampening and damaging their view of cannabis and of the culture do you know yeah. what i mean and it's creating that false binary and leaving us in this conflict yeah wow <laughs> i don't even <laughs> no absolutely um and i think it, it just comes back to that thing i just feel like patients are the ones that are losing out at the end of the day they're the ones that are getting you know even when they're getting their medication from the clinics and the dispensaries they don't know what's in it or they're being told certain things are in it but have they got coas like it's just there's just so much so much work to be done mm. Yeah, agreed. I mean, the, the transparency of it in terms of what's the grow mediums? Mm. What was the environment that it was packaged in? Uh, have you used gases to seal it? You know, there are all kinds of things um, that need answering. And the idea of then doing microbial tests prior to radiation, not after radiation. Um, there's, there's, there's all kinds of different things that really need to be accounted for that it's, a, I suppose it's a spectrum, really. In the best, most naive way, it's they just don't know. They just don't know. Mm-hmm. On the other side of it is they really fucking know. And they are just gaming it. And when you consider, again, not to get too conspiratorial, some of the investment uh, routes, uh, if you like track back investors and whatever, they've been in other markets for 10 years. Yeah. They know how to do this right yeah. in other regions. They do it better in other regions. But yeah. then when they come to the UK, yeah, it's it's... And that's what bothers me is it's we're not building the best system for the people that the system is supposed to serve. We're building the most convoluted system that allows for the maximum profit share of investors. Yeah. Which again, is capitalism, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And Ed, I don't know how we solve that, you know, other than kind of having cannabis medicines or medical cannabis on the NHS, which do you think we'll get to that point? I mean, it seems very distant from like you were saying about the idea of giving patients different cultivars to go and try and see which works for them. That's not something that really fits into the NHS model. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't. Yeah, let's, if you looked at my my uh, summary of care record, you'll probably see, what, 15 different SSRIs. Is that, well, not, them, is yeah. that not them chucking pills at me and seeing what sticks? Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's, it's just we think of it different because of it being a plant, because it isn't a formulation. It isn't a specific drug medication in the classical sense in that it is a organic or biological material that is then combined with a structural compound that's creating a a drug and again even in drug narcotic and those words there's really bespoke definitions that when you get down into it yeah so the language language is a mess but in terms of the nhs access i think we are in a position where i'm radical as shit with this and i've presented this on stage and i'll talk to anybody that's willing you know i've, I've mentioned it to your boy corbin uh, i've mentioned it to many politicians and i think it is the most radical and sensible thing to do for all that seems paradox paradoxical in terms the nhs should grow and sell fucking weed <laughs> but but it should it, there shouldn't be private systems there shouldn't be whatever we should be kind of half looking at thailand not necessarily post november and their law changes and their step backs from what they'd initially promised but the first rollout in june when they were like here's a, allegedly going to be a million plants you can use it all you want at home as long as it's always medicinal so as long as you're not stupid enough to say oh this recreational joint is lovely 
So this medicinal joint is lovely. Yeah, you're fine. You're safe. As long as you don't actually smoke outside, because then that's a nuisance, which actually in Thailand can get you three months in prison. Um, so yeah, not legal. Again, language, it's shit. Um, but what they initially were looking at is basically they wanted to create a nationalized system of cannabis that was incentivized to be healthcare first, not recreational, tourist, all the rest of it. So it was the idea that every citizen could benefit from the consumption of cannabis, ergo they should get access to cannabis. Whereas we're under this system sort of in the UK or this illusion that cannabis is a dangerous street drug that, wow, magically, in some extreme, very extreme circumstances, the experts that have trained for decades can identify, can give it to these vulnerable people and it benefits them. But if they give it to anybody else, it would cause cancer and ruin the world and everyone would be psychotic. And it's just so fucking, sorry, but delusional. It's so abstract from the reality of it's a plant. The plant is a plant is a plant. You know, obviously there's different expressions of its cultivar. So if we fly over to, let's go to Afghanistan and we grab a nice Afghani, and, you know, we fly over to BC, British Columbia, it's going to have different expressions because of the microclimate, because of, you know, the nutrients, the air, all of the different things, and it'll express slight variant. So she's not going to, standardize into this and then when they're saying oh well we've gone this here and that there and it's like seventeen thousand miles between them it, it just it doesn't make sense to me when as i said you can throw a stone and hit a cannabis grow she's a weed like you've seen there was a, a tiktok or was it an instagram it was i saw it on instagram but it's basically somebody had dropped a seed in their car in america and a plant a cannabis plant started growing oh wow but they'd left it growing in the car <laughs> you know what i mean and it was just showing like that's yeah. what that's what cannabis yeah. does and cannabis mm-hmm. seeds can live dormant for 20 years before then sprouting out and coming into a full plant. That's how she takes over. you got to remember, she's a wild plant. There's tens of millions, if not billions, of wild cannabis plants around the world. That's the DEA. They spend God knows how much money destroying cannabis. And we think it's all these giant cartel grows and that. No, it's wild ditch weed. We used to have the same in the UK. We had a mass eradication program where we basically poisoned the entire country to destroy any of these feral seeds. So we don't we don't have the same the same genetic uh, cyclical genetic sort of development of these 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 seeds. So again, we've had it removed from us, but she should be everywhere in the same way we grow rosemary in the garden. I'm not saying that they're comparable per se, but it should just be that to me in in its most innocuous sense as a, as a food when you're cooking it without de- decarboxylating it she is a herb she has no psychoactive effects because all of the cannabinoids are in their acidic forms she has massive uh, health benefits in terms of the lipids the fats even the, the chlorophyll and the various other compounds within it uh, if you eat then the seeds as well it's a complete amino a complete protein all of your amino acids essential and non-essential so it's a food then when you've grown it. But then if I happen to take that same thing and go, oh, I'm going to set this on fire and oh, I got high from it. Yeah. Do you know how many plants there are that you can grow in your garden that you can get really fucked up on that? I'm not going to name because I don't want YouTube to kick me off. <laughs> I, might, I might link you to a list of a very interesting website below. Um, but you can grow tomatoes in your back garden. You can create uh, cyanide from the leaves. You can create a poison from it. Do, do you know what I mean? It's yeah. But they're not, they're not regulated. There's all kinds of, again, plants that you can make allegedly potentially i need to stop fucking saying this potential explosives from (laughs) do you know what i mean but these are not scheduled these are not regulated these are just plants you know if you really understand your fucking chemistry you can you can blow people up with with the random contents of a forest it's it's we're in a, a really weird world where 
there is so much hyper awareness of cannabis from the people that consume cannabis and they have this eagerness to learn about it to protect it yes yeah, some of us are a little bit more evangelical than others and some of us need to occasionally like myself check themselves and go wait a minute is my bias showing am i overly representing my position do i need to really understand what's happening here mm-hmm. but ultimately they have that curiosity that desire to know more and to 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 grow more frankly as a person and in this industry because they're looking like i am in america and canada and going that'll change the uk forever everything would be better the high streets would be back people would be socializing we'd have that cafe culture that fucking tony blair promised us all the way back when that turned into 24-hour alcoholism (laughs) yeah we we can tackle these things i mean christ Cocaine is so hyper-normalized in this country. People go, ugh, cannabis, I wouldn't smoke that. It's a sniffing, God knows what. As long as it's white and it gets them a little buzzed, they don't give a flying fuck. If they're getting three for 100, they're living the dream. Like, it's just... Yeah. Yeah, there's so there's so many benefits to, to cannabis. And it's like, as you were speaking then, I was just thinking, like, we've only just... It's like Pandora's box, like... You just, you, I came into this, you know, you've been in this for so much longer than me. I'm not really in the legacy space at all. And I came in it from a very like medicinal perspective, but it's opened my eyes to so much. And there's just more, you're just learning more and more about it every day. And it's almost like, I always say like, once you see it, you can't unsee it. And it's just completely changed everything and how you see the world and the corruption that you become aware of. And, you know, like when things are really shit and you're like, oh, I'm just going to quit. I'm just going to walk away. Because this industry is really challenging. There's a lot of challenges. (laughs) I don't think anybody would argue with that. There's a lot of internal challenges as well. And sometimes you do just feel like sacking it off and going and you know I could just go back and start writing about potholes again on Sunland Echo but it's like how could I do that now that my mind's been open to all of this all of this stuff and, and all of this kind of propaganda that we've been fed it's just yeah it it, it really is like just incredible really mm. potential that it has yeah it re- it's it's an insanity I mean I've been an advocate of cannabis since my first tackle on for anyone that doesn't get the language there, tack being a colloquial term in the UK for incredibly low quality soap bar. Uh, a lung is a dry bag. Uh, it's sort of like a bread bag in like a cut off uh, bottle lid and basically you pull down with the chill and it's like a dry bucket. Mm-hmm. And you, you open the bag inflates and deflates like a lung. It's kind of like an old school vaporizer, but for actual combustion. And man, first time that hit me was like, why isn't this sold in the shop? Why isn't this a thing? Why can I get drunk? Why can I take a prescription? But when it was instant, and I was a child, frankly, and it was just like, whoa. And then this lifetime obsession with this plant, because anytime, as you said, I felt like quitting, anytime I felt difficult difficulty in my life, she's yeah. there in whatever guise or form. And it's that wonderful thing of even before like, I started growing, gaining access to my own sort of products, was the right cultivar would kind of appear. You know, like a certain like cloud nine and suddenly appear or, or really like blue cheese or something really ang- what I found anxiolytic at a time when I was very anxious. And then suddenly the dealers that all have a different sort of thing which really heady. And it's like, yeah, I need that for when I'm going out. And yeah, and then there's other ones that really body. And it was just suddenly 
it feels like there is this without getting pseudo spiritual or pseudo scientific about it this this connection and i think the plant radiates in a certain vibration again i sound like very much russell brandy over here <laughs> no um, no no judgment. But, 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 you know, i'm just using it as a, as a metaphor yeah. to describe it it's not necessarily the apparatus <laughs> and the structure i believe in but mm. the, the, the we gravitate towards it in that certain people that can't quite grasp the rest of reality and i'm not saying that as a weakness or as, as a failure that they literally are mm. almost too aware of the world that, that nothing makes fucking sense that they smoke a joint and they hit interact with cannabis and they go oh it's there's lies and manipulation and other mm. people because we most people they go through the world assuming everyone else is them and they can't yeah. think they can't empathize and they can't truly go well why would they say so i wouldn't say that why have you just said that Mm-hmm. And you know what I mean? And, and this is why I think that the legacy cannabis consumers, they've gone through, they've grown, especially in this country, up through the rave scene, through the free party scene, you know, through the the ecstasy summers that we had, you know, through the uh, waves of different psychedelics and that, that landed on the UK shores at the, in these different scenes. And this, this tore down racism within these generations. This tore down sexism, bigotry, homophobia, hatred. People were just like, you take drugs, I take drugs, you dance, dance. Yes! <laughs> That's all that mattered. That's all the fun that mattered. And then we've had these substances sort of diluted and taken away from us with all these legal highs and these compounds that are lessening that connectivity. Whereas then cannabis is the most popular recreational, so-called recreational adult consumed drug, uh, legal consumed drug, because it is a lubricant, I think, in that sense, Mm -hmm. that it allows people, it allows you to step out of yourself and uh, engage with others with that. Almost, yeah, I always call it like a childlike curiosity. The yeah. you that is you that is aging, trapped inside of the you you're pretending to be. Yeah, that yeah, that's that's really interesting. Yeah, it's like um, I think it's possibly Gabor Mate. I'm reading a lot of him at the moment. <laughs> no judgment on me. Have, have you seen his new book? Yeah, uh, I've <laughs> Yeah, I ordered it the other day and was like. I thought this was going to be a light read. Yeah, no, no, no. I definitely should have got the audio book because it's going to take me like <laughs> the whole of this year to get through that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I think he say, says when you think about, obviously he does a lot of work with addiction and when you think about why people use recreational drugs, it's to make them feel lighter or happier or to escape. Like, why is that a bad thing? Why do we have that such negative association attached to that? And yeah, it's um, I can't remember what my point was now, but I think there is a connection and, a sp- and there is an element of spirit- spirituality to it, definitely. And that's something that me personally, I was not a spirit. I don't know. I wouldn't say it was like directly linked to cannabis, but by sort of the people that I've met in this industry and the things that the opportunities that I've had, it's kind of led me on a bit of my own personal spiritual journey, which is not something that I ever thought I would be on. So yeah, like, yeah, although I wouldn't say it was kind of, I don't, I'm quite aware that most people have this sort of really personal story with cannabis and how it came to them and how they got here. I feel like I don't really have that, but it's more of being a, I don't know, a more gradual process. And I guess my passion comes from the hundreds of different people that I've spoke to and sort of absorbed their stories from. Yeah. It, it, it does but then in that you serve a utility and a function to those hundreds of people to mm-hmm. allow the perpetuation of you know their voices you echo echo them in a space through the magazine um that they wouldn't otherwise have and i think that's something that needs to be as we've kind of discussed uh we touched on i think let's let's talk about maybe sort of uh, seo and censorship and sort of yeah m- media's mm-hmm. interpretation reflection reporting of of cannabis it's 
it's schizophrenic, frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, it's if you are just Ethel, 60 year old Ethel, you read the Daily Mail, have done all day every day since you were a young and you go down the pub with all your other peers. You know, you 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 smell weed one time, and the bouncers came and threw that guy out because oh, we we don't have them around here. And yet you're reading this and going, well, there's this dangerous, psychotic and psychosis-inducing, addictive, wonderful medicine saving children, causing human trafficking, in, in, in modern slavery. Like it's just how how is how do you create some? I understand that obviously because the cannabis wealth was aimed at, uh, sorry, cannabis health was aimed at people within um, sort of the the medical sector, within that profession and within kind of on the fringes of it. Mm-hmm. Whereas yeah. then the, the press is supposed to report on the state of things. Mm-hmm. So then how is it that we can have such insanely contradictory stories as young Alfie Dingley saved by, you know, cannabis, so wonderful story, d- double page spread. And then literally the next day, there's like, you know, cannabis terrors taking over streets and violent youths on bikes. And it just doesn't. Yeah. It's, I wish I knew the answer to that, to be honest. I feel like, you know, <laughs> it's something that I, as a journalist, you kind of always want to write, well, rightly or wrongly, you always want to kind of be in the mainstream media because that's where the readers are, that's where the views are, that's where the platform is. And that's kind of what you work towards. But now seeing, how you know how the media does report on cannabis and the misinformation that is out there it's really obviously kind of changed my view and i'd love to kind of i don't know i'd love to just provide some education and some kind of even sort of guidelines on how to like report on cannabis responsibly which i I think we're probably some way off that in the uk or whether that would ever kind of be of interest but i just it frustrates me with cannabis health that, you know, it, like you say, we've given a platform to a lot of patient stories and, and we do give people a voice and, but it's in this echo chamber still, like we still don't really reach the millions of people that could benefit from it, who don't even know about it or still have archaic views about it. So that's what frustrates me. And then you see these big stories getting you know millions of views and they're full of misinformation. It's just, it's what, you know, it's something that, frustrates me so much <laughs> and it feels like I don't know how you tackle it really yeah yeah it's I've long since uh gotten over the fact that I don't even get rejection emails anymore I just don't get responses <laughs> um I, I I gave up on the mainstream just prior to COVID yeah. I think it was because I'd, I'd, I'd get sort of uh, so far with fuck it for even as much as I, I did I didn't know a journalist kind of tricked me um, and he gave me his credentials as being of, uh, I'm probably not name them because I don't want to accidentally uh, infer who this person is and get in trouble. Um, but they basically gave me the details of a few different publications. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the insinuation was that it was more of the highbrow one they were selling to. And mm-hmm. it very much became quite aware halfway through the very lowbrow one he was aiming for. And as soon as I became aware of it, uh, without naming the publication, I happen to know from one of its former full-time journalists that the uh, readership age and the content that is produced has to be less than that of a 10-year-old. So how the fuck that guy was going to be able to articulate the conceptual ideas that I was I was trying to present to him in that kind of content I, was just no. So it's it's difficult because it, it's it's loaded. It's It feels very much loaded. And the, there's a... Again, I, I really want to tell that anecdote because it's lovely, but it would it would give away who they are. Um, 
so just different journalists that I've dealt with, you know, they may or may not have ended up together as a couple um, and interacted with them at different, different times. And they both ended up around my house at different points. Um, and just let him just see his cannabis. Here's what a girl looks like. Here's this, here's that sort of thing. And just completely just tra- changing their fucking minds um, and just seeing yeah, then finding out sort of later. And, and it's just, just a cute little sort of situation. I just, I enjoyed that they'd kind of had that commonality of, of, of having a rant, uh, being ranted at by me about cannabis and drug policy, um, which is just all I end up doing, as you're probably quite aware, well aware, uh, over an hour into this podcast. That's <laughs> that my, uh, my raison d'etre is to just trash it to journalists and anybody that will listen about sort of the, the, the state of the situation but yeah I, I agree it's it's tough because without them creating this kind of self-censoring seo optimized uh work the online publications are not going to do that because it's going to harm their metrics they sell their advertising based on the metrics if those stories continue which continually have a lower reach which they will because the content will then get flagged up when it's shared on social media the links will get deprioritized will become shadow banned etc this then looks like less interest in the story and it's a self-fulfilling prophecy that means well we just don't publish interesting truthful content like that and then obviously you've got the other side of it which is when some real medical information uh, medical study comes out and there's this real revelation that it ends up getting buried in some obscure like the lancet of psychiatry or whatever some some yeah. something that never then gets reported on and it's then left to people like yourself to actually go to grab that and then have to run it through these filters um to try and get that out to the masses and it's there there needs to be um as you were saying before you said about the education the thing that flashed up in my brain the reason i kind of went hmm for a minute was the idea of an international cannabis journalist bureau so what is true of cannabis in thailand is true of cannabis in canada in quebec in qatar i was trying to go extreme on the the alphabet spectrum there but any country in the world do you know what i mean the plant is the plant, yeah. is the plant. in the same way we know that alcohol regulation is basically standardized across the fucking world because alcohol is alcohol so yeah. if we had that same with with journalists, it's something I've been pushing with a few of the other organizations in the UK and some I'm actually going to put on my website is a glossary of terms and diction and dictionary of yeah. just and trying to chase it back with the uh is it taxonomy? No, I can't remember the word, the origin of the uh the word, whatever the word is to mean that, uh to show why then that is that is the sort of the language. And because then that creates that consensus when we're trying to have these conversations, because yet you look at some of these mainstream articles that get through and it's contradictory, sentence by sentence. And it's like, oh, the hemp plant, oh, marijuana, uh, CBD and TH insist these oversimplifications and misrepresentations and yeah, it's frustrating because yeah. then you look at underneath and you go, well, who's the sponsored advert? Oh, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. That's a CBD company. Yeah. Oh, it's interesting. That's a hemp company. You know yeah. what I mean? It's, it's. I was just about to say, I've had so many blogs kind of obviously the unfortunate part of journalism is that you do need to rely on kind of sponsored content to survive. And I've had so many blogs sent to me from companies kind of operating in this space. Some that have said, you know, the, the hemp plant and the marijuana plant are a different plant and things like that. It's like the, the lack of awareness and kind of misinformation that's out there is so, so bad. Um, and that's with people in the sector. So when you take it beyond that <laughs> to people writing about it who aren't and don't have a clue, you know, it's a very complicated thing. Like I'm still learning about it all the time and I hold my hands up like I've, I've made mistakes, I'm sure I have, and I'm sure you've read things in kind of self that have been incorrect or you don't agree with. I'm not going to ask you to bring any of them up because <laughs> anxiety <laughs> will go through the roof. Um, but yeah, like, you know, we are learning about it and 
you know, it is, it's, it's a complex, it's a very, very complex subject. So there is, but like on the same vein, it, that's even more important that what we do put out there is correct and that we, you know, are using the correct terms. So, yeah, I think, I mean, I did once, I think it was a while ago, it was maybe when I sort of the first year that I was working on cannabis health, put together like a bit of a media guidelines for writing about cannabis, which I would like give to people that were coming to write for us. And, and it's, you know, I have a lot of good intentions, but then I, I sometimes it's very, you know, it's a very stressful job. I'm a pretty much a one person team. Like there's a lot of pressures on me and I wish that I could spend kind of hours making sure that every article was perfect. And, but it's unfortunately, that's just not how journalism works these days. And and that's an issue in itself and ties into, again, to the clicks and the, I think we could all lead, all leads back to capitalism at the end of the day, <laughs> because it's always about the numbers and the, the, getting the most views and the most advertising revenue. And unfortunately the actual original content is quite far down the, the pecking order. Yeah, exactly that. And anything that kind of, unless you're deliberately producing content to be controversial and that's your USP and the, the what you're trying to sell that content on for engagement purposes, mm-hmm. you would then, yeah, you can, you can make it wrong, make it controversial. Um, and that's often a route that, that people go down and yeah, to echo your sentiment before, uh, I don't really do any ghost writing anymore, but I left a role because of massive disagreements on the basics of the science. And yeah. then when I, I pointed this out to the individual in, in running the website, um, basically was met with, I don't give a shit. I don't, mm. I don't care. And it's kind of like, well, but, but yeah, just, yeah. It's, so it's, it's it's a difficult state of affairs. I mean, the differences, I think, between yourselves and other publications uh, within the sector or borderlining kind of mainstream and the, the fringe of the cannabis sector yeah. um, is that they're willing to print retractions. They're mm-hmm. willing to correct the stories and for the journalist to then come back the next issue and go, oh, sorry, guys, mentioned this. Actually. And people respect, obviously, the honesty and the openness, but also the the ex- accept the reality of this is such a nascent and new space. For all, cannabis is not a new plant. The consumption of it is not a new idea. Um, the way it's being reported and kind of brought into the mainstream is is very new. So people are, I think, quite accepting of they're going to be little mistakes and whatever, but it's the people that are then deleting posts and I didn't say that, that didn't happen. It it creates that distrust, whereas if everyone can kind of arrive at this point of humility and go, well, I know some things, but I definitely don't know all the fucking things. Mm -hmm. And the more of us we can get together and respectfully have these conversations. But the one thing I found over many years of trying to have these conversations and interacting with people all across the world in all parts of this this industry uh, and wider industry community um, is that there are some people that are so heavily invested in their scheme, frankly, mm. their con, their what they're doing, they will lie, obfuscate, destroy, criminalize, attack anybody around them. They will sell yeah. their granny in a heartbeat because they think that they're going to be the next fucking Warren Buffett. I don't know. I'm just trying to think of a big investor. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? They, they, yeah. they, that's what they think, that this is their opportunity to cash in and, and make it rich and it doesn't matter who they harm or what damage they do when any time any of us say cannabis all the words that follow that have mm-hmm. to in some way either be prefaced with this is my opinion or mm-hmm. the science is saying this or the current science or the consensus science or the we can't define it 
black and white. She's just not. She's such a complex plant. I say she because it has spirit. And again, I say that without sounding like a mental case, but like we know that plants grow better to classical music than death metal. Do you know what I mean? We know that talking to your plants actually increases their productivity according to certain uh, studied reviews. So it's, yeah, we're in an odd place with it. Mm, yes. And I feel like, you know, there is genuine people in the sector who genuinely do have those values and, but there's also a lot of people who don't. <laughs> and it feels like I've certainly come across a lot more unscrupulous. I don't know if that's the right word, but I've, I've had a lot of um, situations where, yeah. <laughs> It just, yeah, people are clearly not in it for the right reasons or they're not what they say they are. They're not who they who they say they are. They haven't got what they say they've got. And, mm -hmm. you know, we've been we've been screwed over by people in the past, what we've kind of done sponsored things for, and, and they just haven't paid or disappeared off the face of the earth. And, yeah, when you're trying to survive as kind of a, a small independent publisher, that is, that is a big a big blow when you spent kind of hours of your time when you could have been doing genuine, valuable content, doing a sponsored piece that ultimately you, you've done for nothing. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's just, it's, it's not, it's not, it's not good. And it's not, it's a difficult sector to work in sometimes I find from a business perspective. I think uh, for all this might seem controversial to some people that are caught up in the binary polarizing narratives that are created by the mainstream press uh twitter recently altered um its response to the usage of the word marijuana or cannabis so previously if you typed in you would get a little warning thing that would say do you need help for your drug addiction yeah. they've removed that so it would seem that they are addressing its policies so i think in terms of a, a a slightly less censored platform to be able to push content that is more descriptive and, and definitive in its in its usage of language um, is pretty good. Meta is <clears throat> hit and miss, massively hit and miss, but they seem to be updating algorithms to try and compete with TikTok. Obviously, TikTok is destroying traditional social media right now. Yeah. And there are a lot of people, as we sort of spoke of, about unaliving and that kind of use and dilution of language. Um, the same is happening with weed. So it's, is it O-U-I and little leaf yeah. and things like that? And then people are like just ins the insinuations of it. And the issue then that I've got with that is you then creating content that is supposed to be designed for adults because if we're talking about drugs, it's over 18. That should be a fucking no-brainer. Um, and I say that as somebody who took a lot of drugs as a kid. Like it just, yeah, that's, yeah. a, that's a very different conversation um but the, the point uh, uh, that i'm making is if we're creating content for adults the system should pick up that that's adult content whereas if that's then getting th fed to the you know the army of 13 15 year olds that are on uh tiktok then that that, that can be problematic and then the adult users and consumers i don't hear the word users but the consumers of cannabis and the people involved in the culture that just want more information and awareness they're not necessarily going to get it and they can't just go and search oh hashtag cannabis hashtag whatever and get access to real information. Others, I mean, what we do now in the 21st century is we measure ourselves based on the mirrors that others hold to us. So we go and observe the behavior of others. I mean, there's a comedian that does a, a funny joke about driving down the road and he's paranoid about his windscreen wipers and are they as fast as everybody else's? And he's, again, he feels like judged. He's like, oh, mine's going too fast. I'll turn it down. Oh, he's turned his up. I'll turn mine up. Yeah. And it's this, we, we do this, the keeping up with the Joneses. We all do it at all levels and all parts. It's part of the tribal um, 
inclination of human beings that you know out in the sahara or wherever and we need to huddle for mass warmth and we need to hunt together and work together the guy that fucking hangs out and doesn't do jack shit and is kept away from the tribe then they feel this absence they're aware that they're vulnerable and they could die they could be left behind they have to then show utility they have to you know integrate within that that community and the society and i think that the social media algorithms and the ability to block and ban and cancel really negates that ability i mean i think the greta thunberg fucking andrew tate interaction is a beautiful reason why you should allow morons on fucking the internet <laughs> you should allow people that have i don't say morons is a loaded term I that's probably ableist in the sense and I, what i mean by that is people that are just openly cuntish that's a mm. much much better use of language <laughs> 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 but what i mean by that is people that they they benefit from what we would normally consider antisocial behavior that if your child was doing it you'd slap them or 10 years ago you'd be allowed to slap them this was law changes in most of the world and we're not going to get into that conversation either anyway uh too controversial but my point being accountability there has to be accountability and if then you create these echo chambers you end up with alex jones getting as crazy as he got because nobody held him to a fucking account because everyone that went he's crazy i'm gonna block him instead of having a go at him and and challenge him and chastising him and forcing him like vice have had to recently basically turn off all of the comments on all of their fucking videos because people are debating the topic rather than just going nice video thank you Hmm. you know people want actual debate and discussion and and yeah it might look aggressive and people are oh you're a prick and oh you yeah but it doesn't mean they're going to drive to the house and, and do anything about it. A very small proportion of people may be incited to violence by that, but they're the same people who would be incited to violence to smack you outside of a pub because they've had too many drinks or whatever. It's I hate this idea that because a small minority of people can abuse something, none of us are allowed it. And that's what it feels like with social media because people can be hateful, misogynistic, terroristic, racist, insightful of all kinds of shit. Yeah. The rest of us are assumed to be doing that at all times and therefore not allowed to really debate and interact with each other. And we're seeing the consequence yeah. of that in society, in my opinion. But that's um, a bit... Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, I agree on some level. Social media is a, a difficult one for me. I, I don't... I don't find it a nice space to be, especially in cannabis. You know, it's... I've been on the end of kind of some negativity and it... I don't, I do, yeah, I just don't deal with it well. <laughs> so I think for me, if I could just never go on social media again, it'd be great. But unfortunately, it's quite an important part of the job. <laughs> um, but yeah, and debate is good. I think, especially on a topic like this, we should be able to have debate and we should have a space where we can do that. But I don't know if social media is the place for that because it feels quite volatile and. Just I think even if it, I, I agree there, but if even if there isn't necessarily the the interactions, there's never really going to be two guys sat at a keyboard 100 mm. miles away from each other raging. They're not going to solve the situation. Yeah. But the others then observing that there is a conversation, that's where the education is. It's not the first or second person, it's the third person, the fourth person. that, And I think that's where these things happen is not everyone is going to jump to the defense of this or attack this or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. But if we then allow people to just block and censor people out of the conversations, it it destroys dissent. Dissent yeah. is a fundamental aspect of liberty. If we are to be free at all, we are to be able to say, I fucking know, right, you. I, I don't see why it's a problem. I mean, I can sat, hit, sit here right now and say, fuck the king, fuck the monarchy, and fuck Rishi Sunak. And I'm free free to do that. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. effectively, because they're public figures, actually. So actually, yeah, it does work to it. Um, but <laughs> but this is the, kind of what it should be. If I then sat here and made a threat and went, I'm going to go to this person's house and do harm to them or whatever, yeah, it's malicious communication. There's a serious problem there. Someone should come and have a go and go, what the hell's going on there? But if it's then within the structure of satire, or then say two kids, fifteen-year-olds playing Call of Duty, and going, "I'm going to kill you." Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. that's not a malicious communicate. This con- everything should be contextual. And when we take away a hundred comments are censored, and there's, there's a conversation where all the dissenters are removed, and it doesn't make any fucking sense. I mean, again, without getting too controversial, Vice just released a, a pro-feminism, anti-feminism debate, forty-five minutes, and it's almost unwatchable because of the way they've edited it. they're just jumping around so much and you can see they've obviously tried to again in my opinion potentially frame the conversation in one way rather than another and the comments people called them out on the editing and like i said they turned off the fucking comments but then it's creating this do i mean this is we're not journalists in the classical sense of going here's reality let's report it we're content creators so if you then all small business owners now you have to have an instagram and an etsy and you have to have your you fucking TikTok and you have to do all the, the valid dances and everything. You have to be all of the shit all of the time to just be seen, even the, the tiniest amount. And it's just, it, yeah. again, it's how do we get actual education and information using these these systems to to people that, that need it most, frankly? And a lot of them are teenagers and they're not the people that are going to think that, no offense to clinic videos doing any dances or whatever they do. I haven't seen any of their content, but whatever they do to try and garner, you know, interactions. And then, but then if they did, it would be a form of kind of manipulation. It's not honest. It's not genuine representation of what they are. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, it's, this is why I haven't set up a TikTok for kind of myself, which <laughs> I know that I should do, but it's because I can't bring myself to kind of do those, do that shit that you need mm. to do. Like, that's just not who I, <laughs> I am. Um, and it, yeah, it's hard. It's just, there's just so many barriers. There's so many things like you say that you have to do. You have to different things for different platforms. And I don't, I honestly don't know kind of how we get, I think there's sort of a, it's sort of a bit of a change in tide now where we're seeing more journalists kind of take the control back, not to use that horrible Brexit term, but <laughs> they're kind of, you know, they're setting up their own Substacks and Patreon accounts and kind of having a place where they can like write without being edited and without having to kind of, and then they get the genuine people signing up who genuinely want to read them. I think, you know, that in my view, that's a, that's a good way to kind of, put your content out there and to build a genuine community of readers. But in, in a way you sort of already have to have that platform before you can do that. Because if you don't, no one's going to, no one's going to subscribe and no one's going to read it. You've still got to play the game a bit to get it out there. It, it's just, it's overwhelming. Like social media and the media as a whole is, is very overwhelming and it's very difficult to be working in this particularly in this industry and then navigating all that as well it's mm. yeah it is tough do you find or have you found this is quite <laughs> come across as maybe a cliched question i apologize if it does <laughs> um print media especially like we said when i think about i think of the fleet street mafia for some reason it's still 1950s all in suits and big cigars and it's all of this big boys club mm. is, is that still representative of kind of the you know, the mainstream print press journalism. Uh, I know obviously it's very, this is probably not controversial. I can probably back this up with a quick Google search, but the majority of uh, journalists in the UK are from middle to upper class backgrounds. 
Um, so I did feel that I suppose a tandem question of um, then I, I, I'm not making a judgment or claim against your class. Um, you're from the northeast. You can't be doing that, good pet. Um, <laughs> I jest entirely, obviously. Um, but you, do you know what I mean? It's I'm not making a judgment against. You. I'm just yeah. I'm wondering is there. I'm saying that as a northerner, then if you speak, you don't very. It's not very. Um, I read how how you're doing. <laughs> no, no offense no. to my to my to my favorite northerners. I know if you get get a couple of drinks in us, I'll probably do the same as you do and go very jolly. Um, <laughs> do you find that there's there's those additional barriers? Obviously, we've talked about censorship, uh, about the the drug aspect of it. We spoke spoke about the stigma in it being in the, the medicinal sector or medical areas. Um, but how have you sort of personally found it within the, in journalism? Yeah, I, I do think that the, there are those barriers, like you say, there's no doubt. And I would love to actually do a quick Google after this and find out what the stats are, but that it is majority middle-class white. I think probably still majority male, maybe, you know, maybe that's... I think majority uh, private educated as well. Actually. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that is a, it's a huge barrier. It's, in, barrier. it's interesting that you mentioned my accent because I have this... I hate it about myself, but I do get conscious of my accent. I'm from Cumbria originally. I live in the Northeast now. And sometimes people will say to me like, oh, you haven't got a Geordie accent. Or some people go, oh, you sound like you're from Lancashire. And it's always kind of interesting hearing where people think I'm from. I try to be, I don't really have an accent anyway, but it, I do get really conscious kind of speaking to people, especially when you're speaking to a lot of people based in London and they're from those sort of private educated backgrounds. And it does make me feel a bit like, oh, do I deserve to be here? I think that's more of my issue because I, you know, I do deserve to be here just as anyone else, like anyone from the, um, sorry, <laughs> anyone, anyone from kind of my, everyone has a right to be there just as anyone else. Um, but and if, I don't know, like for me, it's more the, the location, which has been the barrier because like I mentioned at the beginning, I can't, I couldn't move to London and intern for three months for free because to get, you know, I wanted back in the day, I used to want to write for like Vogue and that's not what I want to do anymore. But, <laughs> you know, that was just an impossible dream because how was I going to get down there? I don't, you know, all my family live in Cumbria. I don't have any contacts in London and I just simply couldn't afford to, you know, to do that. that That's the main barrier for me. I am privileged in many ways and I try to acknowledge that, you know, I'm why I'm not not from you know I, don't, I didn't grow up kind of struggling for money but I am from rural Cumbria and that is a very you know that has its own challenges and I don't know yeah I think it's just you, you don't have the contacts and you don't have the opportunities so much in journalism is is about who you is so, such a cliche but it's about who you know not what you know and and that is true the only reason I was kind of got onto a newspaper in the first place was because of the people that I met while I was doing my master's degree I was privileged to do a master's degree because I could afford to take out the 10 grand loan to do that because I knew well I had hoped that I would get a job to pay it back and I had a partner that I could move in with and, and we could like split split the rent but it not everybody has that has that opportunity and I think that's why for me kind of going into journalism has always been I kind of sound like such a cliche but it's about giving a voice to people who don't have a voice and it's always been about that for me whether that was kind of writing about food banks when I was at the Sunderland Echo or you know feminism or whatever it's been I always do tend to have a theme of kind of reaching those groups that that aren't represented 
And I guess that's kind of how I found sort of a, a place in cannabis because the, you know, there's so much that goes unsaid. So yeah, that was a long-winded way of answering your question, but I think that, yeah, there's a lot of barriers and I think the mainstream media is not representative of the general population or even of the many journalists out there that are working like myself for kind of independent, more niche titles. Mm. Um, and it's just, it's a fucked up system basically. And, you know, as much as I wanted to sort of, you know, I'd love to write for the times if they were to offer me a job tomorrow, I wouldn't turn them down. But um, I think if I, I don't know if I want to be part of that system anymore. Now I've kind of had my eyes opened a bit. I, I don't know if I do want to be part of that. I think uh, exactly. We are on a precipice culturally mm. in, in cannabis. And I think in all parts, legal, illegal, being sold, being grown, being used, whatever, just the big cannabis bubble. And I think we're at a point where because it's growing with such ferocity, with such strength, it's it's gonna knock over all the dominant it's gonna be the dominant thing. It's gonna take over the world, frankly. There is nothing that is gonna shy of an yeah. actual apocalyptic event. There is nothing that is gonna stop by 2050 the entire world having to, not wanting to, having to rely on cannabis for antibacterial products, for mm. antivirals, you know, to deal with uh, energy storage, any energy production, to deal with uh, waste and sanitation, to deal with water filtration, desalinization, deforestation, desiccation. I could go on for hours. The point being um, that it's an inevitability. And the institutions like the Times and whatever, we saw in the 2008 crash when, was it, I always get the name wrong because I always laugh about it. Is it Fanny Mail? Fanny Mac went bust? And it was an institution like 120 years in the making, this financial institution. And when I saw something like that happen and I went, oh, shit, the big things can die. And I got really excited by that. Obviously, we lived through the turmoil of 2008 and the, the, the crash and then uh, austerity and all the rest of it. And that fucking sucked. Um, but the conceptual idea that these institutions are not forever. Yeah. So I think that your generation, my generation of people that are then arriving at this space and looking at those institutions, those those uh, uh, platforms, plinth, plinths to climb to, to echo and shout to the thing, they're crumbling at their bases. As you mm. see, print journalism is, is in trouble unless you're some niche, unless you're offering something material. Like, I mean, frankly, uh, magazine, the, the porn, pornography, printed porn is obviously, I think, always going to serve a need as long as you've got truckers. Frankly, even with phones and everything else, there's still something nostalgic, I think, to a certain generation of people they'll have access to that whereas your traditional newspaper they've obviously just figured it out daily mail when you look at their print cycle is crashing yet they're talking about 200 plus million uh hits around the world because they're just doing stuff like oh this kid died in new zealand oh there was this thing happened in india this happened and they're just trying to cover everything and just touch on everything enough to gain that that revenue whereas i think this it's creating this space for new institutions new journalistic institutions that can rise. And I don't know what they call them, papers, media outlets, mm -hmm. content production companies, whatever they are, yes. something else that finds a space to to do journalism, actual fucking journalism, where you look, I mean, one of the things I'm really enjoying right now is Logan Paul getting taken a task by Coffee, the YouTuber, CoffeeZilla. 
mm-hmm. and he's and he's just destroying him. And yeah. it's basically it's a YouTuber calling out a guy who got famous on YouTube, um, and then he's allegedly huge, huge allegedly um, <laughs> conned through several different crypto scams, and then again allegedly through his current thing, CryptoZoo, uh, potentially millions of dollars from investors and from people. And he did these these apology videos where he just kind of was like, "Why would I respond to you? You, you clout chaser sort of thing." And the internet has rose up and has gone, nah, fuck you. Mm-hmm. And that's that's these new movements. We need to get away from these ideas of even not necessarily magazines or even blogs necessarily, but there's there's new kind of ways to to hold people and systems and events to account to document rationally, fairly, openly what actually happens because as we spoke of before you know winston smith's job in 1984 was to literally sit there every day and make the news of today reflect the news uh the news of yesterday reflect the news of today we yeah. were always at war with eurasia we've always been at war with eurasia mm-hmm. and that's what they're going to do with everything else so in the cannabis argument i think could if we can build the cannabis and psychedelic and just I suppose talking about drugs and the human experience mm-hmm. from that even sexuality, humanity, just a humanity. There's the one, a human media company that just documents fucking humanity. It's not from a <laughs> slant of corporate nature or a neoliberalist yeah. or whatever. You go, this guy exists. This is him. That's what it is. Yeah. I mean, that is like, that's the dream, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's... <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, I think you're right. I think there is more kind of grassroots things sort of popping up. I know there's there's really amazing organizations, sort of like the investigative journalism bureau or whatever it's called, you know, groups like that that are kind of non-for-profit or they're they're trying to do genuine investigative journalism, which is what journalism is all about. It's called uncovering things that weren't there before, uncovering injustice, reporting on holding power to account it's just yeah there's still a big a big system to kind of break down mm-hmm. but yeah and and i think like citizen journalism i guess which is kind of what you were touching on there kind of like bloggers and real people saying what happened as it was that is really important and social media has allowed that to happen but you also have to be careful because you get people you know, I do get quite one of the things that I hate is when there's kind of people on Twitter who say they're journalists and claim they've like broken these big news stories, but they're actually not journalists. They're just someone who set up a blog like five years ago. They've got quite a big following, but they're reporting things that are inaccurate. You know, this is one of my gripes and I'm always kind of ranting about it. I'm not going to mention any names specifically, but there is people out there who class themselves as journalists. And as somebody who trained for a long time and did kind of two degrees and you don't need to do a degree to do, be, be a journalist. I wouldn't if I was going to do it again, but I did learn about media law. I did learn about ethics. I did do these exams for a reason. And I think that's sometimes what, especially with things like cannabis, when it is quite opinionated and it is controversial, I sometimes think it's lacking that a little bit because it's just lacking that. Um, what's the word? Just, the objectivity, I suppose. It's a verification of its intention as well. I suppose we almost need, you know, when Instagram got in a lot of shit uh, and Kim Kardashian and all them, and they, they decided to combat the sly marketing by going hashtag ad. Yes. You put hashtag yeah. ad. We almost yeah. need something hashtag opinion. Yeah. Hashtag, and, and it's, do you know what I mean? Where yeah. it's 
and something I always try and do on this is if I ever mention something sort of directly and I'm claiming that one thing specific, I'll try and it'll be in the notes below sort of yeah. thing. Um, or I'll put it up on screen or I'll try and show where I've got to that point. Or if anything else, it's conjecture based on my opinion. And I will inform of going, well, that's just what I think. So sort of yeah. I think that you, you're showing that. That's so you're seeing it a slow, uh, a slight weaponization. Actually, I felt a bit Russell Brandy when I said that, but that's just what I think because that's what he does. It's it's the same yeah. as how like even yeah. I suppose it's the Alex Jones defense to a lesser degree. If I'm just asking questions, hmm. I'm thinking when Cartman becomes a journalist in South Park and he's like <laughs> berating Wendy, and then he goes. Uh, but is she? And then he's like, because yeah, he's asking a question, he can say whatever the hell he wants well, yeah. as long as it I mean, ends yeah. in a question. Yeah, but I think it, it's true. I mean, even like when you were saying that, I was just thinking like if we want to publish an opinion piece that someone's written, you know, I'm not afraid to sort of publish a controversial piece, but I'll always make sure it's labelled of opinion so that if anyone says anything, I'll just be like, oh, well, we didn't say this. It's just an opinion. But opinions are important and people want, I think they're more powerful in some ways than like what actually what actually happened because you can go there where, you know, news journalism can't. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's just making people aware of that. And especially if you're kind of going to make claims it's making sure that people know that that's not necessarily fact or that's just an opinion it's just all about being clear i think about how it's labeled yeah i mean it's the digital sphere is quite difficult because it used to sort of be your your typical cliched image of a journalist uh what's that movie i'm thinking of at the boston globe uh mark oh yeah um, uh, is it Spotlight? Spotlight, yeah. yeah. That, that kind of movie. I'm thinking of then your journalist mm-hmm. with his little book and wherever he goes, yeah. there is there is proof <laughs> of it. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, without, yeah, I'm really not going to name the person, but there's people that then sort of get caught up in the, that, that's your account. So you can yeah. put your story, but you have to be able to draw that back to that person said this. Yeah, you, exactly, yeah. In the digital age, we hyperlink stuff. But mm-hmm. as we said before, we now live in a space where you could put that together and I've done it. I've released pieces on the public of the sites and shit with like mm-hmm. 30, 40 hyperlinks. And I've meticulously gone and all right, this is the research paper. This is the first root of it, not the website that republished it, the first yeah. one. And you work it out and then they go and delete it. Mm-hmm. And then all, all of a sudden you don't have that accountability. You don't have that. So it then everything becomes conjecture. Everything becomes opinion because there is then no basis of it. This is, I agree with the needs to be like, I'm, I'm not a journalist by any imagination. I write a lot of shit, but it's all entirely <laughs> opinion based. Or when I make claims yeah. again, I will still link to, and you know, a little one, little two, and it's in the bottom of a publication or it's hyperlinked or whatever and try and go, well, that's where I've drawn that conclusion from. But there has to be that verification because the it's the idea of journalistic integrity that if that is being put to publish by a journalist as insight into a, a thing, it should be met without bias. Absolutely, and, and that's the thing that no one trusts anymore. So you end up with Fox News and CNN as is as binaries on a spectrum of bullshit, mm-hmm. and there's just no integrity of any other than like you said, there's some substack and. Mm-hmm. And others, but then those individuals, I think, are someone like uh, Matt Taibbi, uh, Taibbi, I can't pronounce his name. Um, and he's he become overly politicized because they're not then mainstream journalists. Mm-hmm. And it, it's it's then you have to pick a side. You're a ju- I'm a left wing journalist, I'm a right wing. It's like if you're a left wing journalist, you're not a journalist. If you're a right wing journalist, you're not a fucking journalist. You personally can have left wing or right wing inclinations. Yeah. When it comes to your work, you should have to have, as I've mentioned several times, that little voice, that thing in you that goes, ah. Is, is that my bias? Is that my prejudice showing? 
Yeah. You, know, you, you have to hold yourself to account first and then there should be the editorial process. If you submit that and someone that is supposed to be neutral of it looks over and goes, ah, nah. Yeah. And you're supposed to be held to account for it. Whereas it just, because everything's opinion-based, the editor then can't hold the, the individual to account for it. And you end up then just, yeah, the popular fucking paid streams of people like Boris Johnson and fucking Jeremy Clarkson in the mainstream press, when there's any number of pundits that could be filling that slot every week with actual information, actual journalism. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 hard, and as I, you know, even like especially in cannabis, I find it. I have to like check myself sometimes when I'm writing something, not editing something, and even when I kind of, you know, journalists now have to have like a personal brand as well. It's not enough just to like do your job; you have to have your own profile. And sometimes, rarely, like we'll do a post on LinkedIn or something. But then I think, like, should I even be doing that? Because should I be even having an opinion as a journalist? Because then, and then going to naturally take that into my work but then we all have views on everything it, yeah it's really tricky it's it, you do have to constantly be like and because cannabis is such like a by the very definition of what we're doing we've kind of got a what's the word we've got an agenda in that we want cannabis to be available and we want people to have access but we have to make sure that i still try and make you know and hopefully everything that you know i would never publish anything without kind of going with someone for a right of reply and or given a balanced perspective mm-hmm. but yeah it is it is it is tricky when it's such an opinionated and sort of complex topic to remind yourself of those values which and i think that's why kind of you know there's there's a lot of great cannabis content sites out there but i, I don't know how many are actually run I mean, maybe I shouldn't say that because I don't want to kind of inadvertently slack anyone off, but I don't know how many journalists, particularly in the UK, I'm not sure how many people running these sites are actually from a trained journalism background. There's no disrespect to them. Like what they do is great, but I just think that that's maybe something that is lacking a little bit in the sector. I think, yeah, with it not being too black and white, as we've had plenty of conversations about definitions and function and use of language, journalists is a very should be a quite a locked term as you say mm. are, you, are you qualified it's one of the things i looked into when i started this of going i think i might need legal protection <laughs> uh, you know i mean if i'm just going to sit here and have all these people on have all these conversations i am bound to say something that's going to get me in a courtroom mm-hmm. uh, because i piss somebody off and yeah. that's why i looked into yeah joining like a journalist sort of union or whatever else and again the, the systems are set up that yes once you are accredited then you have that thing, but you are held then to the standards and you can lose yeah. your accreditation. There is consequence. Yeah. I think that is one of the things that, that is missing from your average blogger. Hey, hand in the air, myself included, you know, they can just slap out some shit and go, oh, that was wrong, delete that. Sorry, guys. Da, 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 da. Yeah. There isn't the same accountability. So obviously I choose to always try and, and correct myself. If I learn something three months down the line, I remember hauntingly at three in the morning, as I always do, going, mm-hmm. shit, that one time I said this one thing, I need to get on record. I need, <laughs> and next time I say something yeah. about it, get that thing out there. And that's all I'm ever trying mm-hmm. to do. And I feel that's what journalism is supposed to be in its core for. Again, I'm not identifying as a journalist. I'm yeah. seeking truth. For all, yeah, I have a strong bias, but it's because I have a strong inclination and I guess mm-hmm. I'm seeking am I, the truth of am I right? Yeah. Do I believe that if the war on drugs was fully ended and people were left to their own devices, that people would do what I think they would do? Can I prove that theorem? Can I then take this evidence to the masses and then go, well, here's, and that's yeah. what I think you do. So I think it, it, not necessarily being biased, but a, 
a, a passionate, preloaded journalist, I think, is a powerful thing. So I think yeah. of uh, Robert Bellotti, uh, Bellotti, I can never remember his last name. The guy who represented uh, represented a farmer who's like 100 and some cattle of his died from poisoning from DuPont. And it was mm-hmm. all from T file, uh, not T file, the product you put on T file, the uh, Teflon. Oh, okay. Teflon was a byproduct of Teflon. And so he spent 25 or nearly 30 years, I guess, at this point, representing mm-hmm. all of the families and all of these people. And he brought to light that that chemical compound, these forever chemicals, are in 98% of the world's bloodstream, uh, human bloodstream. Mm-hmm. And that was because one journalist who actually, uh, oh, no, sorry, he's not a journalist. He was a, oh, he was a lawyer. Oh, that would fit this narrative so well if he was a journalist. <laughs> God damn it. But yeah. still, it's the same idea. If he, then yeah. left, he he left basically supporting these companies to protect yeah. the, the fucking people. And it's that kind of impassioned individual that have that preloaded, you know, you're wrong, I need to do something. As long as it's done with integrity, ethically, and openly, and there is no deception, yeah. I can't see a problem with that. No, absolutely. And I, I definitely hope I'm not coming across kind of in uh, to be negative about people like people like yourself have such an important role, especially in cannabis, because that legacy side has been such a big part of where we are today. And your people like yourself have the knowledge, like just listening to you speak, like you're so knowledgeable so, about some it. knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> and that absolutely has a part. I just think <clears throat> when we're trying, you know, I don't really know what. <laughs> Yeah, I think there's space for everyone, but it's just like you say, being clear about what, where it's come from, whether it's opinion, whether it's fact. And yeah, I don't know. I think it's just me and my kind of old, not old, but like like I say, with my little book, my journalism book, kind of writing everything down and being held to accountable. I kind of, you know, I still kind of live by those rules very much so. And yeah, like you say, we could get sued for libel if we write something about somebody and don't give them a right of reply. And like, you've got a platform with this podcast, it's, you know, it's, it's just the same. Um, so yeah, I, I just get, I get frustrated when we sort of conflate people and I'm not even necessarily thinking about the cannabis sector at all. When I say this, it's just in general, there's so many kind of people on Twitter now who just say what they want. Mm-hmm. I just think there needs to be kind of... <sighs> Like, yeah, journalism to me is like a trade and it's something that you train for. And then it it's not even, you know, I don't, this is probably, I don't even necessarily see it as kind of like a creative practice or, you know, I can write something creatively and that's one thing. But when I write a story, it's very much like a formula that I follow and I'll do it in a certain way. But then I guess by the very nature of it i'm creating something that wasn't there in the first place i'm getting a bit uh deep <laughs> I like, I like it the, the, the philosophy of uh, yeah. writing and content production um, I'm also aware that I'm just going to put my light on because I'm like you're not going to be able to see me soon yeah yeah, no worries I'm quite aware of the length of this so I won't keep you that much longer I've only really got a, a few more sort of points or questions yeah. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed this and I've again one of, one of the reasons why you said before about sort of quite earlier on about sort of having imposter syndrome uh, yeah. for being a guest uh, and being in the hot seat this week but one of the reasons that I wanted you here is that because of the space that you're occupying and because for all as I've said yeah I, I probably have and probably will in the future disagree with some of the content you produce but not because of the accuracy of it necessarily um, yeah. I think <clears throat> it's, it's difficult in the 
you often can't provide a balanced rebuttal for something if you don't know it. And often content needs to be produced, put out into the world for somebody to go, ah, but, mm-hmm. you know, we can all do our Googling and our, our research and whatever to a certain degree. But if we just miss a key word, as we said, with search engine optimization, you might not learn about an entire blind spot within a subject or in a topic. Um, yeah. But the fact that it's done with journalistic integrity, as I said, that that is what matters most. And I think, yeah, promoting the the opinion pieces I think is is brilliant. Um, I think there just almost needs to be this space between kind of cannabis health and say like weed world and skunk yeah. and, and high times and leaf and there needs to something that isn't fully focused. It's almost like cannabis lifestyle, but not necessarily the gang gang lifestyle not all about your pop tops and your mylars and whatever. And there's no disrespect to anybody in that world and in that life. You know, I'm half in, half out of that life, I guess. Um, it's it's just to show that, that diversity of, the again, the human experience within cannabis. And I think it's whoever the, the saying of, you know, if we could all hear each other think, we'd all be, you know, laughing hysterically at how stupidly similar we are. Uh, yeah. It's the same I- thing of... Sorry, I was just going to say, like, it's interesting that you say that because I think just by the nature of the sector that we're in, we are continually evolving, depending on what is happening at the moment. And initially it was very focused on medical cannabis and, you know, that and patient stories and kind of getting those out there. And that was because it's still difficult in the UK because obviously adult use isn't legal. So we have to be careful that we're not kind of promoting too much well the more I'm in it the more I'm actually like don't really care that much (laughs) to be honest but there's a part of me that thinks you know we don't want to kind of get ourselves in trouble by promoting illegal things um but the more that we evolve and you know we are kind of looking to expand into Europe now and obviously those markets are further ahead than us and I do want to do more I'm about to kind of actually like this week first of January I've been kind of doing a bit of content planning and, and rethinking the content that we put out there. Um, and, and I do want to do more of that culture and lifestyle stuff and more of the more stories around using cannabis as a tool for wellness or just pleasure in general. And, you know, that's something that I am aware of and I'm always kind of thinking how I can take it to the next step. So, you know, I'm always open to kind of feedback and like from yourself. And I agree there is kind of a, something missing from one extreme to the other and it it would be good to kind of grow more into that into that space there's i feel like some it's already a brand it's already something (laughs) but the conception the three words that went in my head there were cannabis voices magazine Mm. and it's just basically you would have say an overarching editor traditional Mm -hmm. structure um but then you would have basically content created and curated by a champion an individual with lived and living experience in whatever sector yeah so say somebody in agricultural production of cannabis if they want to call it hemp then call it hemp fine um patients voices in one and then even like as they do with the like weed world they have psi 23 yeah which is you know who knows who that is <laughs> it's this, this you know various magazines about like mr x when carl sagan published about cannabis mm-hmm. you know this i think giving people that can't necessarily be attached to what they're saying but mm-hmm. deserve to say what they're saying 
um, yeah. out there. There's a lot of the legacy forums as well that have started to really gain into the basic internal media systems. Mm. They correlate the news and they publish it all in the forums to their own little voices of, you know, the growing communities and whatever else. Mm. Um, and yeah. again, this, this, I think the space to sort of, to crack that, to give people that are, champions with that that lived and living experience that bring gravitas that bring a certain um that's what i'm looking for validation to, to it do you know what i mean in terms of that they're not just some yeah random sort of person and it allows people to kind of to to get to know different character arc character arc can't mm. speak character archetypes so yeah. say, so rather than having to get to know each individual and then go oh well this is what so the, the adult user, an average adult user, then they just it just introduces each other to each other in a way, and it puts them again in parallel. That what's the difference between the guy that's got this diagnosed condition and gets this prescribed versus this guy that doesn't have a diagnosed just just a uh, condition and doesn't have a prescription but accesses this way. It just yeah. it starts to just help to dissolve the stigma by giving equal footing to 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 both sort of a. Uh, Arguments, which I know is very diff- difficult in a publication currently titled Cannabis Health Magazine. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's a conceptual, it's something <clears throat> moving forward. As I said, that I still envision a new kind of media that mm-hmm. is almost, a, I guess, a Fleet Street newspaper in a, in a kind of way, but in a digital sense that is yeah. then decentralized in that it's it's still journalists doing whatever but it's the things that people want to read look i mean look at tiktok the reason it's so popular is it's people looking at people look at google box google box google box the whatever you call it that tv google program box. where, where people watch people watch tv yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we love looking at each other we love peering mm. into the private lives and the spaces of others to just as i said before about the fucking windscreen wipers we yeah. just want to check we're normal you know that program what is it naked date i don't know what I, I'm oh yeah my age here <laughs> But even that sort of thing is we'd, that was massively popular because people just wanted to look at each other's bodies and go, "All right, mine's about normal. Cool, yeah, fine, yeah." <laughs> do, do you know what I mean? It's yeah. That's what we want more than anything is the validation and reassurance that it's okay to be an individual human having an individual human experience. Yeah. And if you happen to gravitate towards cannabis. Welcome to Big Tent. Come sit down, roll a joint, have a chat. <laughs> yeah, I, I do. I love that, and I, I genuinely think that would even sort of you know building that community but even to the out those outside of it there's something really powerful in just seeing the human behind the person who's consuming cannabis or growing cannabis or like they're just normal people believe it or not (laughs) like they're not these pot crackheads or kind of whatever the daily mail says that they are they're not these like dregs of society they're just normal people from the sort of 50 year old woman who takes it so that she can do a housework to the younger person who you know likes to do it because it helps them relax on the weekend like there's such a broad spectrum excuse the pun of people that kind of use cannabis and for the various different reasons and i do think there's something yeah there's something really powerful in showing those human stories yeah definitely agree and i think even in the conversation that we've had now it's one of the things, as I said, I've been trying to do with this platform is to step out of my own echo chamber, my own even shadow that I cast by my own ego in the sense of mm-hmm. how I perceive the world and the limitations I you know, ascribe to myself. Yeah. And so I'm really trying to to bridge out and branch out. And the more I do, the more I even prove to myself that there is no real difference. <laughs> that we're, we're all stuck in this kind of, I've got to say this, you've got to play this, you're doing that. 
yeah. we're all just quietly edging towards the door. Do you know what I mean? All quietly <laughs> edging towards the exit of this current yeah. incarnation of a system that is so toxic to the vast, vast majority of people that are inhabiting it. Yeah. And I just feel that if we can get that little bit of consensus and if the same people that are going, oh, I need this bottle of wine, yeah. can just look at anybody with, even we'll just stick with weed for now, we'll leave other drugs for now. If they can just look at somebody taking weed in whatever context and just go, fine. Yeah. That's the massive yeah. victory. Because once you get rid of that level of stigma, then when Suella Braverman or whoever says, oh, well, what we're going to start doing now is, yeah, then we'll have that ability to fight back. And if we have this, this, um, catalog i guess is a way of describing it of uh, voices and of stories and mm -hmm. of narratives that then back this up this living real world experience i mean if we could create this space i don't know whether it's a website a social media channel it's something where people just almost submit their own stories their own i mean the horribly the, the cap i'm not a capitalist by anybody's claim but the horrible the bit in me of just going well you know what a capitalist is going to do they're going to mine that for data <laughs> and they'll do this and they'll do this yeah yeah. kind of we consequently yet yeah, we live in a we're getting in water with piranhas you might get bitten so we need to get some shoes on we'll get some you know waders we'll, we, we might be all right but i think yeah in that if we can create that space like i said just showing that it is everybody it's, it still surprises me even when i'm talking to people or like i'm smoking a, i'm very public obviously even i'm smoking a joint somewhere and it's a granny going oh it smells lovely that and i'm like <laughs> thank you yeah it's awesome you know it's a it's, it's, it's lovely to yeah. just see it's not just your, your, your students and your, your dropouts, your drug. That, those cliched fucking stereotypes are so outdated. And anyone that perpetuates them are so outdated because they haven't recognized that it's everyone. It's children, obviously, under prescription. But then there's obviously, unfortunately, a lot of parents and a lot of people that are skirting the law to do what they know works keeping yeah. their child alive because the system isn't willing to have a conversation with what they're doing, how they're doing it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we haven't, yeah, we haven't even really touched on that yet, but I recently had a story about kind of a, a, a two a parents who started, whose son got sad, really sadly got diagnosed with um, ditchy brain tumor. Um, it was incurable and they sort of started growing cannabis on their own to try and treat him. And he ended up living for an extra sort of four years, I think it was, than it was predicted. And they felt what really struck me about when she got in touch was how isolated they felt and how much shame they were carrying for what, they, like, even though they were really proud of what they, they'd done, mm. they couldn't really be open about it. They couldn't tell anyone. And, and even at the end when the son was sort of, you know, in the, the last moments of his life, he wasn't, didn't have access to that, that cannabis that could have provided him some relief. And it's those kind of stories that aren't told and sometimes it's just, you know, and, and that that mum had sort of written, she was trying to write a book about her experience and it, giving a platform to those stories is really powerful. And, and ultimately that's what, you know, I haven't done it as I feel like I haven't done it. As, I always feel like I'm not doing my best work, but I think that's just kind of naturally how I am as a person. But I do feel like, you know, I haven't done as many of those stories recently and that's really what gives me the energy to keep going and the energy to still be here even kind of how shit it's been <laughs> is that the stories that I've heard from people and the bravery and the courage that they have and sometimes just allowing them to say it even in their own words like quite often I'll say or somebody will kind of send something in and I'll just publish it as it is because it's so much more powerful than me trying to edit it or put it into my into my words you know it's it's their story so yeah, I think a place for people to have that is is really powerful. Um, 
I don't really know what my point was, but <laughs> that story was just one that really, really has kind of stuck with me. And imagine, you know, how many other parents and families out there there are that are going through yeah. a similar thing. Yeah, and it just it frustrates me deeply. Um because we're back to that social media censorship. They would yeah. have felt a lot less like an island if on Facebook they could have just typed in child cannabis. I'm not yeah. saying that there should be content for children and cannabis, but <laughs> picking up keywords and phrases where other parents have posted, my child is taking cannabis, yeah. whether legally, illegally, whatever, just other information out there. I mean, Jesus, the thing that still scares me is the generation above me, so 40 plus, um, still some of them are scared to type in words into search engines. They won't search, oh, you know, why is my ass bleeding? You know, why is, I'm excited in the crudest sense, but you know I mean? This is why they'll die, men are, <laughs> men are dying in that age bracket from, yeah. fuck, from fucking prostate cancer. Do you know, they're dying from things because they're not even, they're too embarrassed to Google the fucking thing, let alone go see a doctor. There's parents out there that are then scared that if they type cannabis into Google, the police will knock on their door. So when they found that it's the only thing that works, and they can't reach out because of all of these false barriers but literal bars around them encaging them in this perception of what the world is and it shouldn't be that like you said this is if there was a space to just look and go like there are certain brackets in reddit for all certain things have been taken over by certain narratives there's still some places on platforms like reddit and others when like you say the 420 forums and things like that where people are really actively sharing their fucking stories Mm -hmm. and obviously there is still potential uh pirates pillaging the the you know for profit uh and and stealing from people and, and setting them up and doing whatever else but there's there is self-policing there is self-governance but i think if we could have something more mainstream that kind of shows that i don't, I don't see a, a problem with that it's it's a t- it's testimonials at the end of the day it's it almost needs to be framed in a way that is beyond censorship on social media because you know it's it's not a fence it's not a thing it's, it's a statement it's a it's Mm. So, do you know what I mean? Obviously, I don't know half of the things that you know about content law and, and media and all the rest of it because I've frankly just gone, fuck it, find me. I've, <laughs> I've, I've, I've got nothing. What are you going to sue me for? for, yeah. for here, I'll take, the, I'll take the cat. You can have me flat that I don't that I don't have, you know, that it's not my, I don't own it. Mm. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think, I think there's a little, there's a middle ground. I think I need to sort of, you know, obviously with kind of self, I do sort of, like we say, we are accountable, but I also realise that, there's a lot of censorship that goes on there's a lot of corruption not in canvas health but like in the wider media and maybe we just need to like maybe do need to like step away from that a little bit and just do what i think is right um (laughs) i don't know it's yeah it's a it's interesting my what i was going to say is kind of how would you protect that from the capitalism and from profit how would you fund it and make sure that it wasn't it didn't fall into the same the same issues yeah it's, i mean that's an open-ended question no of course not i mean uh, answers on a postcard uh, below yeah if you've got something <laughs> to put forward to this but yeah. i think it's it's difficult because I've seen people with the purest intentions and the most genuine of, you know, desires and wants for the uh, 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 perfect outcome. I've seen a lot of naivety as well. I'm not going to lie, but then I've seen a lot of people get ground up through this, you know, like that sausage making machine and they're just torn apart and reconstituted in something that isn't them. It's, it's, Oh, it's representative of the larger system rather than what they wanted to ever achieve within it. Um, 
I think it it's about, I guess, you either go down a brandizing route and it becomes a thing in and of itself. Yeah. So so it then people want to pay into it. You go down, I suppose, charitable routes and you go through donations. Um because I've met people and I, I've had some oh that really sent something horribly emotional through me. Um, I've had conversations with people that have money like there is no fucking tomorrow, mm. but they don't have tomorrow. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And it's, they'll get a bit of weed and they'll go, oh, wow. You know, they'll try a bit of oil and they say they'll give them six, you know, getting a bit emotional. Right? They'll give them six months, you'll give them 12, uh, 12 months, you'll give them that extra bit of time and that person then doesn't want to give their nephew that was going to have the will of the house who the guy who wouldn't help him who didn't think of it or wouldn't support him or would demonize him for it or you know his whatever family or relative or i'm basically trying to paint a system of there are people out there who will, who will give you the world if you give them a month and mm. i think it's about how we structure this and it's what i've said since day one is that we have to be mindful of a, the creation of a larger organization that has this conversation that goes, there are these people, there is this thing, they do this behavior, this is the outcome. Yeah. We deserve representation. It, Like I said before, as, as stupid as like, when I made the, the uh, fastidious point about the landlord, um, yeah. of, of sort of going, oh, you're fat and you're fat or whatever. Like, it should be as stupid as that. It should be, you. You discri- it's discrimination, regardless of whether the thing is illegal or not. I mean, you can argue in certain regions, I suppose, which is going to get a bit vulgar, where, say, sodomy is illegal, but then rape is still... You, you, it's, it's, uh, so the way that the spectrum of offence works in the, in the private, you're not going to get prosecuted for a consent, consenting act, whereas the, the consenting act still won't be illegal, but it's, so it's duplicitous, I suppose, in the law. I've, gone, I've framed that really poorly in my language. Um, but to, to kind of get the point I'm sort of trying to make is that even though the thing can in a, in a, have a, a legal context, because there's a legal context, it deserves to be allowed to be mentioned because it's a thing that exists. Yeah. Do you know? And yeah. it's it's yeah. For trying to gain that, I think, is is difficult without that kind of, yeah, that charity or that brandizing. And I think the problem with cannabis, the reason you're not getting the larger funding is a lot of the people that have left cannabis are now in psychedelics and that's where their funding is going. And pretty soon they're going to leave them because they're going to go into pharmaceuticals because both of these are a stopgap. They will not have flower prescriptions for much longer. We will not, you will not be getting mushrooms uh, sent to your home guys. I know you're thinking this is where it's going to go, but it's not. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Remember all of their research is on psilocin, not psilocybin. So they're doing it on the derived chemical, um, which they can schedule and synthesize from a multitude of various other compounds. Um, but yeah, I think so. We almost need that conversation to be kind of like drug users' voices. So you look at like what Transform and other organizations are doing. And again, this is back to the lived and living experience. I think of wonderful people like Fiona Misham, of George Charlton, of people that have, you know, lived directly through addiction, mm-hmm. through difficult points and, and lived through, seen what it is and come through it and now are seeking to spend the rest of their lives in passionately helping the others. That there's almost this unification, the Avengers assemble of drugs, fucking reform groups. I think that's the next thing because ultimately, otherwise, we're going to get picked off, and they'll come and oh, we've medicinalized ketamine now. Yeah, mm. we're going to we're going to up it in the schedule as well at the same time, so you get more punished at home. But if you want to give us six grand, you can come and get it infused for a couple of hours, three times. Yeah. Well, do you know what I mean? And they're going to do the same with weed. They'll do the same with DMT and everything else, and they'll remain scheduled and, and demonized and, and criminal drugs for us but highly profitable commodified resources for the capitalists. 
unless we have this just acceptance that again you might feel uncomfortable once you have the idea of somebody you know putting a band around and building i'm needle phobic you know i've been comfortable with it just because the needle but if you're uncomfortable <laughs> with a conceptual idea of somebody hitting up heroin and you drink alcohol or consume caffeine or yeah. eat sugar or smoke tobacco Mm. come on we have to have this come we have to get to this point of having that conversation and to i suppose succinctly round all of this kind of podcast up that is journalism we need that on the ground investigation of what is i don't know if you've seen there's a guy i've, I've followed for years i fucking love him and he's blown up over the past couple of years uh andrew is it uh callahan he's the guy who did oh, all, yeah. ga- all gas no bricks Mm-hmm. Um, he's just released a HBO documentary, um, This Place Rules, um, just came out I think, the other day, really worth a watch of, it's just, it's real kind of journalism, he's just kind of gone, and he's in his grey funny suit in his old style mic, and he's just letting people be themselves, he's not leading them, coercing them, not saying, oh, hearing them, and then telling the, the audience what they've heard, yeah. and it just shows this spectrum of America. And it's a really insightful as to how January 6th happened. And he, he really draws this, this line of going, the problem is the media, mm. the binary weaponized left versus right, you know, CNN versus Fox, the devil on the other side, because the other can be the enemy and can be demonized in infinitum. They can become baby eaters. You know, they're all pedophiles and groomers. They're all this, they're all that. It's, it cheapens the language, it lessens the discourse, and it prevents us from having these meaningful conversations. If we're all complaining over whatever fucking, as I said about Heinz soup or whatever, we're not talking about, you know, why is Richie Sunak <laughs> saying, you know, we should be taught maths to 18? Because yeah. if you read through the lines of that, he's basically spitting on us and going, ha, the reason you're poor is you can't add up. It's your own fucking fault. And we just go, oh, yeah, sorry, Rishi, we're talking about soup. Come back, come back later, yeah. You know what I mean? There's <laughs> exactly. going to be a nuclear annihilation story and there'll be something about the release of fucking vegan Yorkie or some shit and the world's going to lose its fucking mind. Mm. Yeah, it's it's just a distraction, isn't it? And it's all it's all corrupt, ultimately. I, I always, you know, I sound more like a conspiracy theorist every day, I think. <laughs> but, you know, it's just, yeah, that it is, it is corrupt, the media... And I, I do kind of, not going to say I understand it or relate because I've no idea kind of what's going on in those mainstream institutions, but there is pressures on you and there is challenges, even kind of on a small title. And I do understand in some respects why you have to do certain things in certain ways and we can't, you know, I can't afford to go and do like a big investigative feature, which I would love to do. I just don't have the resources to go and do that. But I don't know. Yeah. Don't really know what my point was there, <laughs> but it is corrupt basically, and that's kind of why that's made me want to take a different route to what I always thought I was going to do, and and you know go and yeah, I, I sometimes think you know did I make a, a bad choice going into cannabis? Because where do I go from here? Am I going to get kind of typecast as this journalist that just writes about cannabis and? But ultimately, I think it's really important and I kind of have to trust that the universe put me here for a reason and, yeah, kind of stick with it and trust, trust with it. And and the more I'm kind of listening to what I feel is right and the right thing to do, it's kind of, yeah, it's just making me 
think about where where we go from here i'm not making any sense but <laughs> it does make sense in my head <laughs> I, I, I get you i get you it's it's difficult <clears throat> because there isn't the natural progression there isn't the traditional route of escalation within the career path mm. um but as i sort of said before if well, we have to walk that line of journalistic integrity and, and impartialness as we spoke of before that it is that passion that inbuilt this is wrong Without yeah. the this is wrong, there is no drive. And if something is wrong until it is right, we either die or we change it. The people that are cold like that, it, it's an itch and it will become a burning sensation until you're raw and tearing your skin, flesh from your bones until you pursue that thing. Unfortunately, it's, it's, a, it's, a, uh, it's a gift or it's a, a fucking curse. It can be both paradoxically, yeah. simultaneously, neither. It, it's, yeah. it's just kind of what it is. And I think that, Look at someone like Coffeezilla is is quite cool. Um, he's basically non-sponsored, runs everything entirely through Patreon, and that's quite long format in, investigative journalism. For all I don't believe in accredited journalist. Mm. Um, um, I think that's a lot where the youth is going. So, say the mainstream press is not talking about what's happening with Logan Paul and his scam and crypto zoo and all the rest of it. Yet they're creating serious traction interaction. All the YouTubers and the blogosphere is alive of people talking about this interaction. Yet you're not going to see it in the legacy press because well the relevance of the legacy press the people that that's reaching is an ever decreasing thing if it's physical print media in this country is in the newspaper the highest cycle is now less than a, a month uh, a, mil- is it a million a day readership i think is, is less it's about seven hundred thousand yeah. something like that it's it's dropping dramatically continually yeah as you said before the clicks on the websites are up and the, on the website it can be mm-hmm. contradictory it can be left wing right wing it doesn't need a fucking wing or a political slant it just needs to be content that you'll look at look at this cat look at this dog look, <laughs> this monkey feeds this cat and this dog you know what i mean boom blows up the internet it, yeah and yeah i think the, the there is this people that want this and we're just at a point where i feel like we're the first uh beatniks you know, mm. the generation after the Second World War, the, you know, we're going around, we're, we're hitting the road and we're scaring and terrifying people with our freaky ideas and we're writing books and poetry and mm. trying to experiment with, you know, sexuality and, and fucking uh, economic structures and drugs and the rest of it. And I think that's what's happening in now is another preamble you know it's the pressure cooker building and very very fucking soon it has to blow and it, this is why i feel they're air quotes legalizing cannabis in various regions they're decriminalizing psychedelics in various areas they're trying to relieve the pressure to go yeah. all right you're allowed mushrooms but only what we've we've, we've given you you can't pick them you can take yeah. it in this room but you have to wear these visors and listen to this music and you're only allowed for three hours then you take this drug to stop it then we let you go home Hmm. That they they're trying to corral and control the potential revolutionarily fucking what was it said not cataclysm it's an opposite of a cataclysm to them it's a cataclysm but to hmm. us it's it's the 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 big bang the starting yeah. of our universe because we've seen it work the micro model around the world and this is why again people want the option to speak their truth what's true in fucking oregon in in pendleton or wherever it was that tiny beautiful little spot that i called in one day uh it's true of the industrial market in fucking los angeles will be true of what's going to be present in hong kong in the future yeah and so we have to yeah give ourselves an opportunity to step into that without being these kind of oh we're going to get 10x return boys to the moon sort of style we're investing into this not for the financial come come and come up and not come up and but you know yeah uh, come back but we're investing in this because we want to live in that future and i can't remember who said it It was maybe plato or one of those guys but it said that uh, any man that has uh how 
can deal with any why. No, who has a why can deal with any how. And that's where I mean, we're at. Yeah, I think I just read that actually the other day. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We're part of something much bigger at the end of the day. And we're kind of, yeah, it's not really, it's not really, I don't really see it anymore about my individual kind of goals. Or obviously, we all have things that we're striving towards and we all have ambitions. But I think hopefully, when people are in cannabis, those that are in it for the right reasons are in it because they do want to be part of this bigger. We they see it as a force for good, and we're trying to change something or reclaim something, um, which has much bigger, bigger knock-on effects than kind of our next salary or <laughs> paycheck or whatever it is. You know, it's yeah, that's what I tell myself anyway. And in the dark moments, <laughs> yeah. It's fine, it's fine finding that motivation and, and so keeping going. Like I said, it's it's very much a long term endeavor. Um, it's not a, the people that enter this space looking for that ten x, twelve x, whatever, whatever you want, however you want to describe them. They don't last very long. Yeah, they'll make their little bit of money and they'll leave. They'll get frustrated. They'll go, well, why is nothing happening? And they won't want to listen. They don't want to hear about the politics, the infight, in the fifty years of sixty and plus at this point, years of of legacy and and how the different legislations and acts and policy and all that. They don't care. They don't give a fuck. They just want to get in and make their money. The people that do care, they will are getting burnt out and stuck within this system. But the ones that really give a shit, they're gonna die here. I put my hand up as well and say myself included, I will die on this hill. There is nothing I have ever felt so fucking sure of in my life that I would stick everything to because I only want the future I want to live in is only this future where the war on drugs is over. And in the same way that I'm not going to get arrested for eating a fucking sandwich because of its contents, that I will not then get arrested for the contents of my pocket and what I choose to do in my consciousness. And honestly, people like yourself, well, I know it feels can feel frustrating within these it's like uh, i'm thinking a sideshow bob you know and he's sitting on the rakes yeah. and it's just constantly trying to find that you're trying to find this path and it's just all of these obstacles that that i feel they'll become lessened is the more people on board to this the more normalized cannabis becomes the more people go well why is it any different than rosemary why is it not just a special cabbage <laughs> do, 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 do you know what I mean? It's it, there's so many different things to 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 frame it as, other than this dangerous, addictive, life destroying drug. And again, if we push the science, I think if you could take out the people that actually have an allergen to it, the people that have a, a predisposition towards uh, psychopathy because of potentially, I know it's contentious in terms of the science, uh, genetic predisposition towards the disorder, or you've shown uh, pre markers for it in uh, adolescence. Yeah. Um, but once you take them out of the equation, I think that you're going to start to understand. And if we're going to unbiased look at it, well, where's the harms? We legislate for those harms and we move forward. Whereas at the minute, it feels like people are just guessing. And again, without these this conversation between the academic that sat behind his desk for four decades and the guy that's been growing it for four decades we're not going to get anywhere. You know I mean? All these, these cannabis experts that have never touched cannabis and all these cannabis people that have frankly never picked up an academic book. And that's not to say that's a problem on either side, really, but we have to pull yeah. these polarized areas closer together. It's that consensus. Yeah. And yes. yeah, there's like people like yourself. And I don't think at the moment, the kind of legal market in the UK really acknowledges or is interested in the voices of those people who have been there for decades doing this and have that knowledge and insight 
and I, I think we need to we need to listen to those people. I mean, when I was at Product Earth, I was at Product Earth for the first time last year, and it was just a real eye opener to the huge community and that already exists in the UK that is already there. All these people that are that are you know experts in that field already, but they're not part of the conversation at the moment in the UK. We're just ignoring all these years of knowledge in it. It's it's just something really doesn't make any sense. <laughs> like why we, we're going, oh, let's go and try and do it ourselves and start again. And it just, yeah, it feels a bit very disjointed. And I think, like you say, there needs to be a conversation or we need to start. We still sort of villainize those people on the legacy market, whereas they should be part of the conversation because why is it fine for the guy in the suit with his, um, you know, with his investment to get a license and grow it in one site, but you know, the person that's been growing it for years in his garden or his loft or whatever, that's not okay. You know, <laughs> that was a bit clumsy, but you know what I'm trying to say that yeah. why is it okay for one and not the other, basically. You, you hit the nail exactly perfectly <laughs> on the head. And it's one of the things I always try and remind the medical sector and the individuals mm. operating within it. It's because of people like me, yeah. that have for 20 years told you the fucking truth, been denied service, being kicked out of service, called a druggie, said, you know, unless you go sober, we're not going to help you, and all this other shite, that you were actually getting the information and awareness, that yeah. enough of that started to trickle through, that thousands of us, tens of thousands of us were strong enough to go, yeah, I break the law, what of it? It helps me, doctor. Do you not care about me? Why shouldn't you want to help me? Do you know what I mean? And it's that saturation. It's all, it was all illegal fucking weed that was helping all of the children. It was all of the illegal weed that was helping all of the MS patients and everybody else that's been plastered. And I don't mean to oversimplify this, but it's being sort of plastered into the point of sale and to the, the advertising and marketing um, propaganda, frankly, and, and maybe a bit harsh of a sentence um, that was, was produced. But ultimately those people were being supported by legacy. It was because of, the, yeah, some of them got screwed over and some people still will always get screwed over in both the legal and illegal space. And this is, again, more reason for open regulation where we actually determine best practice. We understand what is the actual harms. What does each person actually need in their individual circumstance? Mm -hmm. And again, that only comes from openness, honesty. You know, I was literally, not, I'm not going to say I'm beaten by my mother, I don't mean that image, but I mean, like, the number of times that I would get in fucking trouble, like, as a kid, infinitum, absolutely infinitum, um, about all kinds of different shit with the police, council, school, fucking drugs, alcohol, the prescription pills, you fucking name it. Mm -hmm. She would always say to me, if you're honest now, it'll be better. <laughs> Sorry, it'll be better, it'll be better for you in the long run. If you tell yeah. me the truth now, you're still going to get punished. Mm. But it's not going to be half as fucking bad if I find out <laughs> later you're lying to me. And so I'd always like, it got to such a point. I was like, yeah, literally, all right, this terrible thing. Okay, this thing happened with this car and this, and then I'm sorry. Da, da. And you'd have that kind of conversation, like I said. And it, that's what I was taught. And when I look at the re reality around me, I'm like the opposite. It's like, if you tell the truth, it's going to be twice as worse for you. Don't ever tell the truth. You've got to market it, manipulate it. You know, it's everything's PR. We're all individual brands and content producers, whether we like it or not, whether you're actually doing the TikTok dance and you've got your brand name and your merch, or whether you just exist on social media, that is still the brandized version of yourself. Yeah. You know? And I yeah. think that we can weaponize that, like I said, to create this movement 
doesn't necessarily need to be fully political. Uh, you know, it doesn't need to have a, a political inclination at all necessary. Are you a cannabis consumer? Do you want to see movement in the cannabis space? All right, buy merch into this 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 um this charity that's then structured with people like not necessarily Mike 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 Barnes or whatever, but in those kind of positions of authority in the different institutions that can then give the lender credence and respectability to these author uh, the, and authorize these agencies to be able to gather this information of voices that basically go well. We've just surveyed twenty thousand of them, and ninety eight percent of them said they want their cannabis in glass, not plastic. Yeah. Should we should we do something about that? You know, we've just surveyed them and and you know, uh 85% or whatever say that they want to smoke it, not vape it. Should we not make the laws reflect that? You know, that people want to grow it. Should it's that's without yeah. that consensus, and then we end up at a point. I'm quite aware of how long this podcast is, so we'll wrap this up after this point. <laughs> um that it's the manipulation of, of data. I'm not going to accuse any one entity or agency. It happens on all sides of the argument and and uh, the debate. But the the cherry picking and manipulation of data to ensure certain outcomes has become so repugnantly obvious that it's very difficult to take a lot of these institutions' press mm-hmm. releases seriously. Um, when they'll post this, you're then seeing hundreds potentially of comments from real world people that have grown cannabis, that consume cannabis contradicting and having a go at this and i think again yeah that thing of creating a, a larger database a, a yougov of cannabis voices um <laughs> is a way to just again get the data that actually represents the fucking people it, it, yeah some of it may end up getting weaponized by corporate interests but if it can be used to prove media wrong when the daily mail says oh this this organization steps forward and goes no of our members they said this that's the consensus voice in the same way that if somebody prints something about gay rights or whatever there'll be an lgbtq plus uh, organization will be contacted for comment the same needs to exist for cannabis and i think that voices journalist media it's everything is so synergistic and and hybridized these days that you can't really have one entity but i think there is just it's a a movement it's creating voices and and movement towards the world that those voices want to see so some people will be interested in, in the development of agriculture and the so-called hemp sector. Some will be interested in just CBD, some in prescriptions, some in, in adult consumption. But everyone together collectively is still moving toward their goal, but like it's a larger mass moving out to the fringes until it is society. Yeah. That's my yeah. grand vision anyway. <laughs> I love it. It's it's powerful. It's yeah, like a collective, a collective of cannabis, cannabis consumers, cannabis voices. I think power, this power in that, this power in numbers. I mean, it's the thing of if we then not, we don't have to be political, like I said, but if you said 100,000 people of all these voices and everyone paid one pound a month in dues or disabled people had like, a, 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 or certain people had, what do you call it, concessions for whatever, if you're a student, unemployed, et cetera, et cetera, <laughs> what were the means tested of how much you paid into the pot? And we had X amount. If you said 100,000 members, you could just ring up Labour and go, uh, we could give you a hundred thousand votes in the next election. Do you want to have a conversation? <laughs> that's the power that we have if we collectivize. And that's what I think people are forgetting is you don't need to agree with every pot smoking hippie to, mm-hmm. to, to think that's what we're going to get. Not everyone wants uh, anarchistic fucking uh, communist syndicates and, and defra- decentralized uh, communes and collectives and yeah. d- destruction and degradation of the police forces and councils and, all the rest of that shit. Do you know what I mean? You don't have to agree with the philosophies and opinions of others. Just go on the bare minimum. Weed, weed, cool. That way. Let's go. Yeah. 
yeah. And I think that's isn't it? It's yeah. 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 All right, so uh, coming next week, folks, me and Sarah are going to be leading the march into Parliament with... Uh... <laughs> I know, I feel like I'm buzzing now. I've got, like, yeah. my brain's just, like, full of ideas. <laughs> good, good. Then, uh... no, these, these conversations are really important. And like you say, that these are what you get the energy from to, to, keep, to keep going. Um, it's really, really important. For sure, for sure. I've, uh, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed this like i said we'll uh we'll wrap this up here because it's i'm trying to look at the time there. Oof, quite quite a long recording um i've I'm been trying to try <laughs> <laughs> that's all right it's dark now it's yeah. evening it's over day's over <laughs> bloody winter time um where can or where would you like sort of me to, to direct people you know and you give a shout out to websites etc Sure, yeah. So you can find um, Cannabis Health's website is cannabishealthnews.co.uk. Um, you can also find us on Twitter at, oh, it's a strange, I think it's like Cannabis H News or Instagram at Cannabis Health Mag. Um, annoyingly, they're all slightly different. But if you just search for Cannabis Health magazine on Twitter, uh, on Google, we'll come up hopefully. Um, and you can find me on Twitter if you search for Sarah L. Sinclair or yeah i'll be somewhere around the cannabis health stuff and i'm on instagram as well but don't really have a significant following but feel free to follow me i'm sarah sinclair as well <laughs> on there nice i'll uh i'll reiterate <laughs> some of those links and put some uh some hyperlinks below so that you folks can uh, click on them I'm pretty sure youtube still allows me hyperlinks i had a bit of an issue uh because i accidentally linked to one of donna larson's projects in canada that you know saves potentially thousands of lives every year but youtube decided it was dangerous so fuck you <laughs> but that's not good i'm pretty sure youtube's terms and conditions i can i can say fuck you to youtube and it's <laughs> probably, i think i'm pretty sure that yeah it should be fine it'll be fine Anyway, before we uh, continue on attacking this wonderful platform that gives us the opportunity to have these conversations, uh, yeah, Sarah, it's, it's been a pleasure. Um, you're welcome to either sit and watch me do the housekeeping where I'm just going to round things up and say goodbye, or you can uh, jump out now and, and get to the work that you have. Sounds a bit probably should have been doing hours ago, but I've kept you here chatting shit. Thank you. Yeah, I will I will jump off and just go and round a few things off, but thank you so much. It's been um, an absolute pleasure, and Likewise. I can't believe you managed to talk for, to me for three hours. <laughs> I didn't think I had anything to say, but there we go. Um, but yeah, I'll talk to you soon. For sure, for sure. Yeah, let's uh, catch up soon. All right, all the best. See you later. Bye. Bye. Well, there you go, folks. That was Sarah Sinclair and apparently my hair. Uh, it's just slowly crept out. I've been working on this bonnet, it would seem. I need a fucking haircut. Um, but yeah, that was Sarah Sinclair, folks. Uh, first podcast of the new year. I thought I really enjoyed that. Um really quite getting into the nuance of the language of sort of journalism of sort of the representation of cannabis of, of online censorship of seo um yeah I, I really liked our kind of uh pipe dreams toward the end there of these these potential conceptual ideas of alternative models again we're, we're really in a world of hyper synergy um where everything is everything you know what i mean you can't just be one thing you have to be a what i suppose used to be a triple threat uh in in hollywood terms of these what was it an actor singer dancer maybe i have no idea what the three things that they're actually threatening to do are <laughs> they could be fucking anything but given uh people like bill cosby it could literally be fucking anything um i'm getting way off fucking topic here but yeah if you enjoyed this do like share subscribe do you want give us a little share on your social media platforms i know it's probably gonna get your shadow banned 
but go on, do it. I dare you, do it, do it. And I'm uh, trying to get to a thousand subs as well. We're nearly there. I think we're nine, nine away, something like that. Last time I checked. So yeah, let's let's keep uh, pushing them up as well, folks. And uh, yeah, check us out on Patreon if you if you really want to support the the channel. Um, less than a cup of coffee a week, you can help sort of keep the lights on on this little project. I am at the minute saving for a better quality camera because I'm bored of. So it doesn't show you how good all of this wonderful wood is behind me. I really wanted to to magnify and amplify this environment. So yeah, cameras are getting updated. Might update the mic as well. Um, so yeah, any pennies towards that always fucking helps. But I don't take it personally. You guys support me enough by sitting here and listening to me ramble every week, and I fucking love you for it. All right, see you next week. Peace and love, folks. Yeah, I'm gonna fucking restart this because that was terrible. <laughs> Uh, segues are hard.